back to Choir Practice. This week, my guest is John Patla. I've known John for a really long time. In the mid-90s, he was one of my criminal justice instructors here at Pima Community College in Tucson. And fast forward a couple of years when I made it on to the Tucson Police Department, he was there as a sergeant in the DUI unit. Uh, so yeah, we've known each other for a little while and uh, I'm pleased to uh, have him on the show. He has a plethora of experience and I learned a few uh, new things about him that I did not know. So I'm excited for you all to get to know John as well. And here we go. All right. So my guest today is John Patla. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, I'm happy to have you here. Uh, I've mentioned you and and there's a, a, a few others over this last couple of years that I've been doing the podcast, but um, I always describe John Palla as, first of all, he was one of my instructors at Pima College back in the mid-90s. And then... Fast forward. You, you know, got your A, I hope. <laughs> you know what? I don't remember. I probably oh, got a D minus, but no. Um, but then fast forward, we got to work around each other or, you know, with each other on the Tucson Police Department in the early 2000s. And so there was like uh, like you and then uh, Dave Bruce, you know, Dave Bruce. Yes. Yeah. With the Arizona Rangers. I run into him still occasionally. He's still around. And and uh, those there's some names in the city of Tucson that are that I associate not only with law enforcement, but also with being uh, instructors of criminal justice, you know, at Pima College. Um, but you'll have to tell me because I can't remember what song it is. What I thought was interesting about John Patla, the instructor, even at the academy, you did this. Oh, yeah. There was always a song, something you played on your little boom box first, and then you would start in, start teaching, start instruction. Uh, usually John Philip Sousa, Stars and Stripes Forever. Okay. <laughs> And it's just, it's so silly because I don't even remember which class I took with you, but I remember that you would always play a song at the beginning of class. And as soon as that finished, we're on, we're going, you know, we're teaching. So, um, well, I got involved with constitutional law with the legal advisor, first Pat Kelly, as a number uh, of years ago. Okay. And I, I thought, well, you can't get any more patriotic and constitutional than John Philip Sousa. So. <laughs> Well, and everybody has their thing, you know, when they're teaching, you know, like some people throw Nerf balls or they ask a question, they'll throw a Nerf ball and that person that catches it has to answer the question. You know, there's just always somebody's got their shtick or, or whatever makes them unique. And in all of the education, you know, beyond high school that I took, I don't know that I ever had another instructor who played some kind of a patriotic song before they started their instruction. So, um, but I was in that era too, you know, when we grew up, you'd stand up first and foremost and say the Pledge of Allegiance and then oh, yeah. the day would start, you know, but, um, I wasn't doing probable cause with you for definition. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. That was 1994, 95. It was a little while ago. <laughs> well, when you add 24 to it, yes. But if you're <laughs> from my perspective, 1970s, a little while ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just recently saw something where they said uh, that these young kids now are referring to my generation as born in the late 1900s. Oh, <laughs> oh ouch. Ancient. Uh, yeah, ancient, yeah. So um, we'll start this show off the way I start every show off, and that's basically, um, as you're growing up, did you grow up here in Tucson? Uh, no. No? Okay. Uh, San Antonio till sixth grade and then Colorado Springs. Okay. And then how do you decide to go into public service? 
I was going to make the Army a career, if oh, that's okay. public. Okay, so you and were then, in Colorado and you joined yeah, the Army. And then, uh, well, I got drafted. I was going to be drafted. Oh. So I just got my uh, bachelor's degree from the University of Colorado. Okay. And then was going to be going into the Army. So the Army accepted me. I applied for Naval and not Air Force. My dad was in the Air Force, but I... I don't know if that's a service or not. And uh, what was, asked, he, was your dad in the Army? No, yeah, he was in the Army originally, <laughs> and then it became the Air Force. Gotcha. And he said, all of a sudden, it turned around and started out in the Army, and all of a sudden, I'm in the Air Force. How did mm. that happen? Uh, wow. Uh, but I, was, uh, I applied for their uh, OCS, or... Yeah, Officer Candidate School. Program. Yeah. And uh, at the time, they stopped deferments for masters and PhDs. Uh So those are the professional students that were avoiding the draft. Right. And then it's the late 60s. And then uh, they all came out and went to those places. And the Navy said, well, you don't have a master's or a PhD. So no, we're not going to take you if all you have is a bachelor's. Hmm. And Army said, well, we'll take you. So I went to uh, officer candidate school at Fort Benning. Okay. Eventually. Now, what were you studying in college? Uh, business management. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, who told you to do that? Uh, the University of Colorado, because I flunked out of electrical engineering. <laughs> well, and I've had so many guests come on here and say, and I, and I 100% agree, when I looked at the criminal justice degree, it was one of the degrees that had the least amount of math. Oh, yes. And I was like, that is for me. That's the degree for me. So you graduate and you knew you were going to be drafted, but you decided to kind of go in on your own terms. So, right. Um, My dad said, you go to the military, you make sure you go as an officer. He was uh, NCO. Uh, yeah. 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 My dad was an NCO in the Air Force. So I understand that difference. Now, had you ever been through a boot camp or anything like that before? Uh, Naval Reserve. Okay. So I joined that when I, before I got graduated. Okay. So the that's why I thought I'd be able to sneak into the OCS thing with right. the Navy, but I think it's OTS there. Okay. And it didn't happen. So I had two weeks of basic training okay. with the Naval Reserve. And where was that at? Uh, Great Lakes, Michigan. Wow. And had you ever been away from home when you went and did that? How old no. were you? Probably like 19? 19. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How, so what was Finally that got to ride on a. The thing I remember most is the train, riding on the train at uh, 70 miles an hour from Denver to Chicago. So, so no airplane? No, no. No. Wow. It was fun. And then the, uh, uh, then two weeks, I had two weeks basic training mm-hmm. and then two weeks uh, a tro- uh, board a patrol craft escort, a little uh, patrol craft that was used during World War II uh-huh. to uh, patrol with the uh, merchant marines and the mm-hmm. ships going over. Okay. And um, anything unusual or significant that you remember from <laughs> from your basic training? Basic training. Getting, oh, getting yelled at, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, that was fun. Yeah, that was... <laughs> what time of year was it when you went um, through that, that boot camp? Boy, that's a good question. I'm just wondering, was it freezing cold outside? Because no. Great Lakes is... Yeah, well, they had us jumping into the lake from the uh, deck of the ship, which was about 65 feet up off the water. So if you, if you had to, you know what you're supposed uh, to do yeah. and how you're supposed to 
so you don't belly flop and break something or kill right. yourself. Right. Because I mean, pushed. I would imagine even from 65 feet, if you hit that the wrong way, it'd be like hitting cement. It was still pretty, yeah, even with shoes on yeah, and pants, jumping off the deck was quite a, an experience, yeah. Wow. Were you a, a decent swimmer then? Yes. Well, because I took a college class for swimming, I had to do two credit hours of something. Oh, for like physical. Yeah, physical education stuff. So (laughs) I did swimming. Oh, man. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So you do your two weeks and then you come back home and you finish college. So how was how was boot camp for the army then? Because that was the full Uh, boot camp, right? Uh, Nine weeks. Nine weeks. Yeah. Yeah, enjoyed. And that was fun. Fun? Well, I I, I think our, our drill sergeant was kind of pickled a lot of the time. I don't think he liked to be there. Oh. He was now, probably I, a World I, War II veteran, too. Yes, huh? probably. Yes. Wow. Uh, Korean War. Oh, Korean War. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And was everybody that was in your boot camp, was it just regular Joes or were they all OCS? Um. More than half. This is at Fort Dix, New Jersey, believe uh, it or not. And they since closed the fort. Uh-huh. Uh, I think about half were going to OCS and college mm-hmm. graduates. Yeah. Uh, so that they they asked who can type. And, of course, all the college, college guys, college. Are, yeah, typing papers and stuff, everybody raised their hands. And then they said, uh, what about you? And they pulled out this guy and says, well, sir, I, I didn't even get through sophomore year of high school. And I don't know what a typewriter looks like. You're the company clerk. <laughs> so, hey, the Army doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> so, well, what would a clerk do? Is he just giving you boots and shoes, and or what's he doing? Well, he was actually typing out reports. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, wow, I'll take the one guy that says he can't. Sure. <laughs> That's hilarious. So when you finished boot camp, <clears throat> and you said it was in Georgia, Fort Benning? Well, that was for OCS. Uh, the basic oh, okay. training was, was Fort Dix, New G- Jersey. In New Jersey. Okay. And then, so you go and to OCS. Go to, How long is that? That OCS was uh, 15, 16 weeks. Oh, okay. Uh, January to May. And they taught you how to be an officer? <laughs> I remember. And a gentleman? Yeah, yeah, that's right. By an act of Congress. I want to mention that. <laughs> Why is that? What do you mean? That's what it says on your certificate when you become an officer. Oh, okay. It says, by an act of the U.S. Congress... You are now an officer and a gentleman in the United States Army. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Now yeah. I know something new. So it took an act of Congress to make you one. <laughs> well, yeah, and they were going to get you coming or going, I guess, is what it oh, sounds yes. like. <laughs> yes. Um, so what kind of stuff are you learning at OCS? Because I think you're probably the first person that I know of that went in as an officer. Oh. In all of my guests. Oh, uh, it was for infantry. Okay. So that's where, what I had started out in okay. and I wound up in, actually. And uh, it, they, we dealt, uh, well, we would spend two or three days out in the uh, mm. Oki Swamp, which was uh, north of Florida and in the south part of Georgia. Yeah. So you learned about wait-a-minute vines that, where they grab you and you have to wait a minute with them while you untangle yourself. Oh, wow. Uh, so you're doing uh, uh, two or three-day maneuvers, but mm. uh, leadership classes— uh, M- M14. So oh, okay. I got pretty good, got to be a pretty good shot with the M14. And guess what they were carrying in Vietnam? Was it 16s? Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> so, a self, self-cleaning rifle, right? Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah. I think that's what they first said. And then everybody's getting jammed up and then they're like, oh, they yeah, don't yeah. self-clean. We're going to have to clean them ourselves. Oh, well, that, uh, and they had the uh, bolt assist. Uh, they wouldn't 
come slide all the way forward like they were supposed to. Ah. And I think they they had to be kept really pretty clean yeah. if you wanted it to function. Unfortunately, so um, were you any good at reading maps? Okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's what I always, you always see all these jokes where people say yep. these butter bar lieutenants will come out and they can't read a map. They don't know if yeah. it's upside down, Be careful or... of a, yeah, lieutenant with a map. You're exactly right. Now, yeah. let me ask you this, though. Did they teach you in OCS to lean on your senior NCO? <laughs> yeah. That's what uh, I always well, they, Yeah, they said they were super important. Yeah. yeah. And that's who yeah. you didn't want to torque off. Well, and the thing is, too, is that, I mean, many times, you know, the commander or the, the officer would give the command, but then all the, the, the boots on the ground are looking at the senior NCO to provide the, the direction. And, and typically, yeah. you know, he's the guy. So it's kind of like on the police department. I always figured as a sergeant when I first got promoted, whoever is my most difficult, whoever is the biggest critic, whoever I know I'm going to have to really put in the time if I knew I was going to have to give some direction that wouldn't necessarily be all that great or very favorable, right. that I was probably going to get a lot of complaining, then I usually would front load with my NCO or my most difficult. And if I could get them on my side. Yeah, that's very you critical. Know, because then as soon as I step into that briefing room and I give that direction, they all look at that guy because they want to know what kind of a snarky comment or what kind of, oh, this is messed up, this is stupid, blah, blah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. They want to see what he has to say about it because he is the guy. He's the informal leader while I may be leader by, by rank and title. And so I always figured if I could get the informal leader on my side when it's time to hand down the direction that sucks... Uh, and they all look at him and he's like, yeah, I think we could do this. I think we could do this, blah, blah, blah. I got all these cool ideas. Then everybody else is on board. And, you... and it's funny that the newest guy is probably the older salt. The oldest salt sometimes. they And it's the new, the older guy that says, yeah, we've been there and done that and we're going to do it again. <laughs> yeah. So um... and, it, and it works. i just going to mention that, that with the OCS aspect with the infantry, and dealing with uh, sergeants and stuff, then the the, the motto there was uh, "Follow me," or in Vietnamese is "Toy Toy." Hmm. So the lieutenant is the first one up the hill, <laughs> and the sergeant, the platoon oh, wow. sergeant, is the one back behind everybody with the bayonet, sticking them in the rear end, and saying, "Now you get up there." <laughs> so, uh, well. Um, yeah, I was going to make another point about that, and I can't remember what the heck I was going to say. The sergeants. But, but you know, well, that's what I was going to say. So the one thing I did appreciate about the the police department or growing up in that profession is that the the guy who works in the mailroom could be the CEO one day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the grunt police officer could be the chief. It's entirely possible even to this yeah. day. I mean, their chief now was a, a, a beat cop just like I was. And so the thing about the military is that unless you were like in the bootstrap program where you started off as a grunt, then you got went to school. And once you finished your school, you went into OCS, you would have had some perspective. But then in other cases, you have uh, brand new baby officers in the military who never were a grunt. And so they don't yeah. always they don't always know exactly what doing the job entails. And sometimes they it, they get exposed pretty quickly once the bullets start flying, both literally and figuratively, you know, which is why you need that NCO there to kind of help push along the message, you know, <coughs> or push you up with a bayonet up the hill. 
you will get up that hill. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you go to OCS and then what happens to you? Uh, I got to stay at OCS for, cause I had a, a two year, 10 month commitment. The, you, okay. the army said, if you give us 10 months of the training, mm-hmm. which included basic, uh, advanced infantry training, AIT mm-hmm. and OCS, then we'll just require a two-year commitment as a reserve. You get a reserve okay. commission. So that was the the next year. Then I spent at in at OCS. They asked me. They didn't ask me. I well, was ordered yeah. to yeah, be a, issue. A, a tactical officer. Okay. So I was the. I had a platoon of uh, people of, of OCS at, at the company. Okay. So the Ninth Student Battalion and. I forget what company. I think it was Charlie Company. Uh-huh. And so as a I tactical pl- officer, what would you do? Uh, make sure that they, they're they looking at grades. So mm-hmm. you were uh, tested every week yeah. and had to stay involved. Uh, inspections mm-hmm. were done. So I, I got to inspect the, the barracks a lot of the times. And were you sometimes the guy tearing it, apart their beds and their lockers? It, yes. Yep, that was me. And we didn't want static. Measuring their corners. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. I wow. had a silver dollar. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I wow. bounced off that you yeah. know, bunk. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, yeah, so that was th- helping to get them transitioned from the uh, basic training, and they were all E5s. That was mm. their pay scale at the time. Yeah. And then going into class. And then if there was uh, problems which most of the time it was trying to keep them encouraged to stay on yeah, because uh, there's a lot of self-selecting out and mm-hmm. I didn't want to bother with this. And it was a quite a bit more stress that mm-hmm. they had for, uh, <clears throat> and of course I get, I can, I'm pretty quiet huh? norm, normally, right? Okay. <laughs> and, and unfortunately they could get loud. I think that's why they wanted me to the tactical officer. So uh-huh. I'd be able to yell at somebody and I could see their hair. <laughs> going back with the wind and nice. having them get straightened out, but nice. uh, trying to keep them involved with the class mm-hmm. and keeping up with grades yeah. and encouraging. That's what I normally saw was happening with my, the job that I was doing. Huh. And of course, they were all there. looking forward to going to Vietnam, which I did too. Uh, yeah. So that was my second year with the uh, with the Army then. Okay, and so that whole two-year and 10-month commitment, you were there as the tactical officer? One year. One year, okay. But I was a student for the 10 months. I gotcha, gotcha. And then the first year that I had a commitment Mm -hmm. for the two years, and then the second year was spent in Vietnam. Oh, wow. Wow. Hmm. And how'd that go for you? I don't know that I was... Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. I, uh, well, part of the training we got was uh, Jungle Warfare School uh-huh. at Fort Bragg. That was two or three weeks. So you learn. <laughs> You're a subject matter expert in three weeks. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. And then uh, got to go confidence. to Fort Bliss. Was that for six weeks? Mm-hmm. Six weeks, uh, Vietnamese, learning oh, uh-huh. Vietnamese. Uh-huh. So I, I know that I toy, was that Toy Viet in Vietnam? Uh-huh. And I, uh, Toy Bobin, I'm infantry. <laughs> he raises his hand. Yeah. Um, so where do you where do you get sent to then? I was uh, when you first get in country, mm-hmm. then they wherever there's uh, openings is where they would send you. Mm-hmm. I was uh, sent to uh, MACV uh, Military Advisory Command 
V for Vietnam. Uh And so I was sent to a uh, a MAT, M-A-T, mobile advisory team in uh, South Vietnam. Okay. And I was assigned to, we were assigned, we're a five-man unit, uh, two lieutenants, well, theoretically a captain and a lieutenant as an XO, Mm -hmm. executive officer, and then uh, three NCOs that were subject matter experts, um, machine gun, mortar, and then a doctor, uh-huh. a medic. So with uh, we were then attached at that, well, we were attached period to a Vietnamese company. Uh-huh. And our particular company was a uh, first lieutenant rank for a company of, I think they had 60 Vietnamese, South Vietnamese soldiers. Oh, wow. And we would accompany them out on uh, operations. Of course, they, they'd been there doing their stuff for... 1962, 1964 for five years or more. And so then they get a new lieutenant every couple of years or a year. We were there with uh, air, could it call it an airstrike and U.S. artillery. And was that like a, see, I'm not real familiar with, with the Vietnam War. Was that area, was it a busy area or was it? Kind of away yeah, from the, line, the, uh, the Viet Cong uh-huh. were operational in the southern part. Of Vietnam uh-huh. has been described as like two uh, bread baskets or two baskets on a pole. Mm-hmm. So the southern part has got a, a larger area where they grow a lot of rice and everything. And then North Vietnam has an, a more industrial, uh-huh. but they have rice also. That's a large bubble. And in between is this narrow a bit of land. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so then they were, we were doing, the company was assigned to patrolling the area. We were uh, a, a click, a kilometer away from <laughs> Cambodia. Okay. And so we were operating right up near, as far as I know, we may have even been over into Cambodia, right. which we weren't supposed to be, but I right. go wherever the company commander wanted us. And then we, right. we were then with the company commander and uh, if they needed an airstrike or on something or a uh, artillery, U.S. artillery, they did have artillery with the ARVN, the Army of the Vietnam, oh, Vietnam. Republic of Vietnam, ARVN. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it frequently didn't fall where they were hoping it would fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... You, they would mark out, and this is something you'd learned in in uh, OCS too, how right. to call in artillery and stuff. Okay. So they made sure that we knew as advisors where we were within ten digits of. Usually, they only needed eight mm-hmm. to be able to call in an airstrike or uh, artillery, mm-hmm. and then um, the airstrike was available three to five minutes theoretically. Oh wow. And we did have a company, I, I think it was not, they weren't deployed appropriately. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the whole company and uh, the advisors that were with them, two, one advisor, I think, was with the company commander, um, called in an airstrike where they were because oh. they had been in, gotten involved in an ambush situation, mm-hmm. pretty good size, obviously, to, to have six, uh, 60 to 100 guys spread out a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, probably walking on the uh, rice, on the dikes between the rice paddies, because who wants to get your boots wet? Right. And uh, the by the time the airstrike arrived, which is about five minutes later, uh, nobody was alive. 
Oh, so, they, so some intense fire had been put together by the Viet Cong, which oh. are a, a civilian military group. And then the uh, North Vietnamese Army, the for the north, was fighting the northern part mm-hmm. of South Vietnam. Okay. So we never saw any of those guys. Wow. And these are all, these are F-4s that are bringing in this this. Airstrike? Uh, probably, yes. Yeah. I don't know. Air Force and then certainly the carriers off of the... Right. Right. So what did you... I don't know. How old were you at that point? Maybe 20, 21? Uh, 22, 23. Yeah. That's got to be... Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, so that's me as a baby sheriff, you know, at 23 years old at the top there. And uh, my son's older than that now, and I I couldn't imagine him being a part of or doing some of the things that I even did as a as a Pima County Sheriff deputy. Yeah. Uh, and then I was telling you before we started recording about my daughter and, and what she's involved with, uh, you know, the stuff that she's doing. So I can't imagine being twenty two, twenty three years old, and here you are in Vietnam, which you know that's got to be well. Just... The nice experience for me was being able to interact with the civilian population. Mm-hmm. So. We were there with that company, but then they would always be around villages. So then I was invited by the village chief because a team commander wasn't interested in going out and uh, eating rice and stuff with the village chief Mm -hmm. or some of the other uh, hierarchies of the village or the civilian government part. Yeah. So that was was more than a couple of times (laughs) having a big bowl of rice in front, looked Mm -hmm. like a mountain. And then you have a chicken head on top of it, and the guest of honor, guess what they got to do? They get to eat the chicken head. <laughs> or a fish heads. But most of the time, because Americans were not kind of squimish, and you just could see the look on their face, then the, the host would take it and eat it for them. <laughs> but, wow. Yeah. Wow. So you got I got to interact with civilians rather than just all Army yeah. or military. Yeah. And you were there for a year? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then they let you out still? Out of the Army yeah. or out of the year? <laughs> out, of the, out of Vietnam, out of the yeah. Army, all of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what time did, or when was, was it, it that the June? Vietnam War wrapped up? Uh, where was it? It was 1975. Yeah. And, and I don't think uh, 1973 they had pulled out a lot uh, of the uh, troops. Yeah. And then the only thing that was keeping... North Vietnam at bay was the B-52 bombings along the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which was on the international border between Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia. Right. So... So what year did you go over there and what year... uh, 1969 to 70. Oh, okay. June to June. I can't even imagine, considering they were drafting people, I can't imagine that they let you leave. (laughs) You know what it I mean? Was, it was a one-year, yeah, one-year yeah. tour. And, and I, they, I, I, I and thought about making, word. yeah, I thought about making the Army a career because mm-hmm. uh, my dad was had been a career Air Force, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but then I, I kind of got disappointed with the the people above, the ma- majors and colonels and mm-hmm. stuff, and the decisions, and not feeling like you had any uh, input. Uh, and that was the immediate thing I saw when I got on the police department, which was not supposed to be a career for me. 
Oh, really? I had only joined because I wanted to get a job with personnel management, personnel mm-hmm. with the city. I uh, just started, had to come, I came back, my dad was here, and okay. I had to you know, do a job. I wasn't rich, so. What? So then I went to the city and said, you got any jobs? And I'd like to work with personnel. And the guy I interviewed, he says, well, I've got the entry-level job for personnel. I just got it. And I'm supposed to match people with other city jobs. The police department is always looking for people in the military. And I thought, holy mackerel, I just got out of a 500,000-man standing army mm-hmm. and had me go to the police department. And I thought, well, I could join for a couple of years and then transfer because I'd be a city employee right. and then transfer over to personnel. Wow. It, no one told me how much fun it was, though. So your dad was in Colorado, or did he get stationed here at Davis-Monthan? Yes. Oh, okay. It was his request because that's where he was going to retire from. Okay. Right. That's probably similar to your dad, or was your dad here? So, see, my parents are originally from Louisiana, <laughs> and he was in Wichita Falls for uh, boot camp. Then we lived in Columbus, Mississippi for a little while. Then we were in England. Wow. Then we were in Alamogordo, New Mexico at Holloman Air Force Base. Then we went to West Germany, and then we came here. And I don't know that they really had a preference as long as it wasn't uh, along the northern border of the United States where it's freezing cold. I oh, really, really think that was, you know, because um, sometimes they'll send somebody to North Dakota or South Dakota, you know, and and uh, because we had already lived in New Mexico at some point, we I think initially we were supposed to go back to New Mexico, and then within maybe a month or two before we left, it got changed to here. So we moved here and then he was allowed to homestead cause he only had five years left in his 20 year career oh. and they let him stay. They didn't make him move again. Cause we moved every three years until we got to here. Wow. And so, yeah, I don't know that he wanted to retire here per se, but it was just, just well, that's, that's what out. the army offered. They said you could stay in and we'd send you to Germany. Oh uh, yeah. See, well, I just, I just got out of Colorado Springs and I froze. Yeah. And then they sent me down to Georgia and Fort Bliss and El Paso and I finally thought out. So yeah. I figured I don't know I want to go to Germany. Yeah. And then you're you get homesick. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't I don't know if you'd experienced that, but the yeah. Um I I had a little bit of that only um you know, like my freshman year of high school or my freshman year of college, I actually went out to Arizona Western College in Yuma and tried oh, uh-huh. to play football for a year. Oh, okay. And I was there for the one year and then I came back home and then I got Was to, that 100 degrees and 90 degree Oh, it was humidity. brutal. Yeah. yeah, it was brutal. It was not great. And we weren't a good football team. And so, <laughs> oh. so I came back home and went to Pima College and, yeah. and kept going from there. But... um so what year was that when you got hired by the Tucson Police Department? 71. Okay. So I, And another boot camp. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, all of the guys had been in the military, and here yeah. they're trying to have a little stress boot camp, and we're right. looking at each other and kind of, yeah, I don't think this is going to work, buddy. Nice yeah. try, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know what? That is one thing that any of my guests who, who were in the military first and then went into law enforcement, they all say the same thing. They're like, hey, man. I've seen people that are professional at this, and I know you're trying. I'll give you some credit, but it just wasn't the same level. And I think maybe some of that, too, might just be because of the level of commitment. Like when you're in the military, you are government issue. They own you. If they want you to work 12 hours a day, every day, seven days a week, 365, you'll do that. 
For your $90 and, a month. Yeah. And, and enjoy it. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> can I have another? You know? And so, and it's not quite the same. I mean, yeah. you can literally quit if you, if they stress you out too much, you know? So I guess it can't be entirely to the same level, but even in 2014, I was a basic training sergeant and I felt like it was almost my job to weed some people out. Uh-huh. Because if you can't handle me yelling at you for 15 well, minutes and, and doing, you know, ooh, uh, running and doing push-ups and sit-ups and, and leg lifts and that kind of thing, what are you going to do if somebody's sitting on your chest punching you in the face? You can't quit that day. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I felt like it was it was my job to, if people didn't couldn't handle the stress, then they maybe this it'd just isn't ni- their yeah, profession. I think it'd be nice to know that you could, too. And, and yeah. you just... Well, and I think people's perception of, I think they, I don't know, man, did I, they thought they were going to walk old ladies across the street and get kittens out of trees. Like oh. I and that's not what we experienced, you yeah. know? Um, you know, I used to always tell the story too. I was like, I know that some of you think that law enforcement and being a, a public servant is about this, but I'll tell you, there's been days where I've gone into a house. I've literally took kids away from their parents. Everybody's screaming. Everybody's crying. It is killing you and that's how you help those kids so if that doesn't sound ideal to you or to have a knockdown drag out fight with somebody who wants to try and take your gun out of your holster and shoot you with it i don't know that this is your profession you know and so i not that i want to be a doomsayer but i also want to give them a clear understanding of of everything that they might encounter yeah. Working this and, awesome and, job. And then you get probable cause to arrest, and all of a sudden, all your stress goes away. That is true. <laughs> it's always nice when somebody will finally say something, and you check it back against all those weeks in the academy, and you're like, aha, now you're under arrest. Yeah. Um, so um, so they tried. They tried to make it a stress academy. Was it on Silver Bell? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Here at the old Silver Bell Academy. And then... Back then, I would imagine there was probably just the main station, yeah? Yes. Just the 270 South Stone? <laughs> yes. Well, no, because like I had like Frank Rao and some of those guys, they said like everybody met at the main station and then you would get sent out to the different teams and different parts after briefing or whatever. Uh, and then finally, eventually, the, the east side station up there on Speedway finally opened. Or was it Santa Cruz was it opened the first? first? I think it was East Side first. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so you finished the academy, and then um, when you start FTOing, where are you FTOing at? No FTO. No. Oh, as a veteran officer, you get to ride with a veteran officer. Wow. So I was. Uh, who did I? I can't remember. Who. Man, they let you guys off easy. No. Yeah, officer, <laughs> officer Chad. Well, the the only problem different from the FTO is personalities, and yeah. I and I think. Uh, the one, my one uh, F, well, FTO, veteran officer, teacher that I was with right at the beginning. Now I remember my first call oh. <laughs> yeah, at uh, <laughs> at uh, Broadway in Tucson was a 1050. We okay. responded to 1050, accident and injury. No injury. No injury. And I, I'm coming out from downtown and it's on the other side of the street. And, I, and I'm thinking, I, I'm not sure how to get there. I think I'll have to go around the block. You know, go through the intersection. I'm just thinking uh, POV, personal vehicle. Yeah. And he says, you're the police. Now get over there. 
Yes, sir. As I put the lie siren on and I'm doing a wheelie around the, it's yeah. just different mindset. Obviously. Now, I know that part of what, for folks that moved here, I mean, because some of the people that I know moved here for this job, Oh, you know what I mean? From other towns. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know any geography either. That's where I was going. Like geography hangs people up in a bad way. And I mean, for the most part, the city is a grid. Yes. I mean, sometimes there's some wonky streets, but it is helpful. But do you even know where Broadway and Tucson Boulevard is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did, obviously, because we had the, the geography had to get tested on. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. When you're in the academy, they teach you about the 100 blocks in geography. So that's interesting. And who was your who was your FTO or the veteran At officer? First yeah. was um, John Zilstra. Okay, but he, I think he eventually quit and went to Alaska, and was with the Alaska Highway Patrol. I oh wow, yeah, talk about cold. And met a girl up there. Uh, yeah, that'll and got do married. It. Yeah, that'll do. Guess it. where she was from? Arizona. It's more specifically, was she from here, Tucson? Yeah. <laughs> But he met her there? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It is different, huh. wasn't it? Huh. And then I mean, how many how many officers did you ride with? Do you remember? Two or three. Two, two or three. three. My last guy was uh Dick Shad. Okay. And we had other Shads subsequently. His okay. son was on the department yeah, as a dog handler. Yeah, yeah, Gary. Okay. Nice. And now when you're I mean, you've, you've been around the world literally at this point, and you've seen a couple of things, but um, I still don't know that there's anything that can prepare you sometimes for when you actually start taking the ARS and all of the book knowledge they gave you in the academy, and now you're out, and uh, what are you, about 25, 26 now? Yes. Somewhere around there? And you're problem solving for real people. Not yes. just not just uh, in concepts or in practice scenarios, you know. Yeah. Um, was there anything about this job? Because you just want to be personnel. You didn't even want to be in the police department. No. <laughs> Is there anything? I didn't thought of. Well, my dad said you don't want to be a cop because all he knew were cops from back in Massachusetts. Okay. And they're always in fights. Oh. So a knuckle dragging type person. And right. That's what I found with the department immediately was that they wanted to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Uh-huh. So they were always working towards solving problems. Okay. And when I'd gone to other jurisdictions for teaching uh, uh, DUI or horizontal gaze nystagmus, HGN, or yeah. the DRE, drug recognition expert schools, uh, if, if it wasn't in the Southwest, mm-hmm. it was a different mindset. Yeah. And there is uh, like the, the them and us. Uh, the thin blue line. And, yeah. And sometimes it got carried out. Well, I remember one officer, oh, poor Mike Pryor, sent him over to a Louisiana area. I don't remember which one. <laughs> and he's at the jail and he said, he called me and he said, uh, Sarge, do I have, we're looking for people that are an influence of drugs okay. so that they can do drug evaluation. Their students oh, yeah. can do drug evaluations on people at the jail. I don't know if right. you experienced that when you were there. Or no, not. I never did that. And uh, so then that they, they could put it down on their log and this mm-hmm. is what we expect. And they would get a urine sample mm-hmm. and then eventually have it analyzed to verify what they thought they were seeing. Mm-hmm. So they have a, a DRE instructor there with them 
to make sure that they're going through the procedure properly and what kind of conclusions did you get? What mm -hmm. did you see that supported your, uh, your uh, well, hypothesis, the theory that they were under this particular drug? Right. Well, he said they're, uh, they're kind of abusing people over here. Some of them are getting beat up for no reason. <laughs> and, you know, Sarge, I, I, if this went to internal affairs, I'd get fired because I was here. Do I have to stay? And I said, no, don't don't stay then if it's going to compromise. Yeah, I, I kind of say it as a joke because I, I know that there's people that listen from different you know areas of the United States and even different places in the world. But it feels like from my little micro perspective that the closer you get to the Mississippi River and even beyond, it's just law enforcement is different. It's just different. And uh, some of it's probably good. Some of it's probably not so good. Um, I, I do appreciate both the sheriff's department and the Tucson police department for the way that they policed. And like you yeah. said, I mean, we were in there solving problems and we're not always going to be favorable. I mean, my first couple of years as a cop, I was working midnights. Nobody was ever happy to see us coming, no. you know, cause if you're at somebody's house at two in the morning, that means somebody's going to jail. Were you single? No. Oh, see, well, I was single and I'd uh, say, now how do I meet, meet? meet girls. I'm working midnights. I sleep during the day. Yeah. I don't get off, but Tuesday morning and Thursday afternoon or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You poor guys, How do you man. Do they, made you, they made you <laughs> yeah. switch every couple of weeks, right? Three months. Or every three months. Yeah. Yeah. So from midnights to days, to days, to swings, to swings, to mids, every three months. Right. Oh my gosh. Um, but what I, what I was going to say though is as you are now starting to do this job, do you remember anything kind of surprising you or shocking you about? I think the thing that bugged me the most was uh, getting to see a dead body. And I, I, where, I don't even know how long I was on. And then it didn't make any difference because you're there just for the job. Yeah. Did, it, um, did you guys go to the uh, OME or no for an autopsy? Do you no, remember any academy? No, we did not. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of hit or miss. Like we didn't. But then I've had other guests who they absolutely did. It was one of the things they did is they took them to watch an autopsy. Um, I've always said hurt children and dead bodies, worst part of the job. Worst part of the job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and do you remember the circumstances around? A dead body? Yeah. The, do you remember like the first one you... Oh, I can't remember the first one. Yeah. I just remember that uh, the Hispanic culture that we have. Uh, uh, a 95-year-old lady died. And I dispatched to for her being mm -hmm. dead at the house. And normally then we would, because no doctor to sign, mm -hmm. and she didn't have a doctor to sign, 95 years old. And uh, the family said, well, we've got her here. And I think they had her on the dining room table for viewing, for, you know, all the relatives would oh, be coming geez, by and yeah. paying their respects and stuff. And uh, they said, well, does she have to leave? So I thought, I said, I, there's At no bullet holes <laughs> or knives or any problems here. Right. And so I looked over the body as best I could without, I didn't want to take yeah. clothes off and everything. Yeah. And I said, uh, no, I'll just document it and then say she's dead. So yeah. that's what I did, which because I thought was... if she doesn't have a doctor to sign, then essentially you either have to have the O&E. Right. Or sometimes if, if or you call a funeral home. And they will come and get their body and take it and get them prepared for a funeral or whatever. But uh, I think you still need a doctor's signature, though. Probably. Yeah, I think it would have to be OME. Uh, so I just, I just elected. I'm not going to bother with this. She's mm. 
dead. Clear. And I don't see any uh, trauma or anything to indicate that there was any foul play. And yeah. so I left, I left them with their grandmother. As a retiree now, like, I don't want to see, like, you know, even movies or TV or dash cam oh. on social media. I just don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. But I think at the time when it was part of, it was part of what I do. You know what I mean? Like right. in my own personal life, if I'm at the grocery store and somebody cuts in front of me, okay, whatever, go ahead. You go first. I just didn't really care. You know, it wasn't, but as a cop, when you would see something wrong, especially illegally wrong, you're obligated because of the costume that you're wearing to do something, you know? And that's what I used to, I was telling somebody the other day, we would go around and give these little public service announcements. I remember I was working for John Figueroa in the bike unit uh-huh. and we were directed to go into this neighborhood area around the Grant and Albernon and work our way through there and knock on every single door and just give crime prevention tips. You know, that crime septed crime prevention yeah. through environmental yeah. design. And so, um, I used to tell people, if you are leaving your neighborhood and you see something and it kind of gives you that weird feeling, don't ignore that. You'll try and talk yourself out of it, but don't ignore it because that is the same exact thing that we have as cops, but we have an obligation and a responsibility to go find out why is it making me feel this way. You don't necessarily, but call 911. Maybe you'll get lucky and there'll be a cop driving by and they can come and take a look and try and figure out why is that dude snooping in somebody's mailbox or, you know, whatever. And so I still, to this day, I'll tell people, no, 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 don't discount that. If something is making you feel a certain way, it's your subconscious is telling you there's something that's not right here. Don't ignore that, you know? And so, um, leaving but, a building in the dark midnight and it didn't feel right. Then correct. Go to the, go to the light. Yeah. Go stand under the light, go back to a phone, call somebody to come or drive you know. to circle K for me. Uh, you know, obviously when you show up to a gunshot, individual or somebody who was involved in a rollover, you know, wreck or something like that. I think because there is so many tasks and things for us to do as a police officer that you're not just standing there just staring at the dead person. No, no, no. You're doing so. You're throwing up tape. You're you're making notifications. You're interviewing witnesses. You're doing. It's not an FOB convention with three cars. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're doing stuff, you know? And so, um, but the worst is, uh, when you do like that grandmother, I've I had a call like that over at one of these trailer parks off of Ajo and Mission. And grandma got up to make coffee. Grandpa did not get up. So then I get called and I'm trying to be as respectful as I can. Yeah. But I need her in this. It was an RV. It was an RV park. Uh-huh. It wasn't even a trailer. So I'm asking her, can you just go stand up by the front of the, the RV? I'm just going to check him. I got to make sure there's not a knife sticking out of his back. That doesn't like there's any injection wounds, <laughs> yeah. not a bullet hole under his wife beater. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. you have to, that's your obligation. And for me, touching someone whose room temperature will never, ever, ever be normal. Oh. It just won't. Well, it's reasonably fresh, so it's not going to be smelly. That's what you always hope for. (laughs) Because, you know, as a young cop, especially starting at the sheriff's department, if there was a floater, which was somebody who's been there and started bloating and expanding and smelling really bad and turning colors, um, guaranteed that they're going to call around on the radio and figure out who has the highest PR. (laughs) And then that poor sucker... Gets to it's come a over. Learning experience. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say. 
that poor sucker gets to help with the OME, the Office of Medical Examiner, get this person and put them in a body bag. And it's always gross every time. If they if they're not, you know, in that particular instance in that scenario, I mean, that guy probably died in his sleep in the middle of the night. So there was no problem other than the fact that he was about 70 degrees to the touch. Um, Did you get a doctor to sign or? I think so. I don't even remember. You know, that's the thing, man, is over my career, 21 years of being a cop, I can't even remember how many dead bodies I've seen. I I do remember the first because it was a lady who was fairly young, probably in her 30s. And husband was up and moving around and she was not. And then he went in there and she was... down and paramedics showed up and it seems like they revived her Hmm. but i don't even remember i mean and that was as a brand new i think i was in fto with the sheriff's department at that point um but yeah after that i don't know i don't even know how many dead bodies i've seen too many you know in real life not just on tv you know but uh so you ride around with these with these senior cops by the time you're done doing that, do you feel like you're ready to go, like you're subject matter expert? Well, certainly, yeah. <laughs> certainly you get tired of having a person there, especially uh, evaluating you, similar yeah. to the FTO, but uh, that's more intense. Yeah. And uh, I estimate that because I got to be the FTO sergeant a couple of times, one time, and the uh, the program from my experience allowed a person to go through, was it 13 weeks, 12 mm-hmm. weeks? Yeah. Uh, and learn stuff that I took me five years to learn to get uh, to that yeah. particular call. Yeah. Uh, the dead body call or the robbery call yeah. or doing a DUI. Yeah. And uh, that's the, the really nice thing about the FTO program, and it really accelerates a person's experience, even yeah. if it is a make-believe thing and we've got a, what do you do next and how do you right. handle it? Now you can go to those calls and yeah. feel comfortable as an investigator and getting something to some done. degree. Yeah. Not always, but, right. but yeah, that is that San Jose model where you would have four different FTOs. And in the first right. one, you don't do anything and they pretty much do everything. And then it's a little bit of a transition where you're doing a little bit more, but they're still helping. And then in the third phase, you're doing more, the majority, but they're just there to give advice. And in that last phase, it typically is your first phase FTO right, so that they can see how far you've come yeah. And if there's any deficiencies, that it might hopefully need. takes the personality out of it. And that's where I, yeah. my, my, uh, I guess that with John Zilstra, I don't know if we want his name necessarily. <laughs> I think he was going to make a uh, recommendation that I be terminated because I'd been involved in seven, 10, 50 accidents involving a police car. Oh, that you were at in fall. the first year and a half. Yes, of course, that I was at fault. <laughs> But wow. no injuries, Just I just hurt the police car, and I was writing this Dear Chief thing. I mm. uh, got sent to uh, Davis-Monthan uh, Safe Driving School. <laughs> so we saw some video, and, you know, what would you do in this situation, yeah. or what would you do in that? And then I learned from um, Chief Ronstadt wow. that... It's, um, 20% observing and 80% driving. Well, I had it flipped around the other way. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you know, quite honestly, I'm surprised that cops are not involved in more collisions because the radio squawking at you. Now we have computers that you're typing in oh, gosh. license plates and that kind of stuff. And you're scanning constantly looking for someone who's committing crime and you're also driving. 
like driving is an afterthought compared to all the other things that you're that you're yeah. doing and paying attention to. And so we yes. think that we're master multitaskers. And we're probably just doing a lot of things poorly. Yeah, and especially you know? if she's got a short dress with nice legs. Oh, my gosh. And then you run into the car in front of you. Oh, is that what? <laughs> one of your collisions? Oh, my gosh. And the guy's bumper falls off. <laughs> and he says he's, there's a cop that just ran into him. He's trying to drive away because he doesn't want to get in trouble with the cop. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I wouldn't even put that on a memo. <laughs> I did. Well, there was a lady with short skirt and nice legs, and next thing you know, I'm, I hit the car in front of me. Um, looking so, at the computer screen. Yeah. Looking yeah. at the computer screen, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I had one of those. But um, so when you finish your FTO, where do you get assigned? No or, FTO, yes. Well, Sorry. not FTO, but when you uh, finish your... I little... was um, AC relief. So uh, A was uh, team one. Okay. C was team three. Team four, oh, way out east. So they had A, B, C for okay. teams. Okay. And uh, the relief was that there was a squad that worked like Team One uh, in that those time frame uh, would been, uh, as it turned out, even afternoons, two to ten, okay. I think, eight-hour shifts. So the squad for five days a week was in Team One. And then when the two days off which was not on a weekend, obviously, then right. the AC squad would do the A part oh. for two days. And then there would be a C, which would be east side uh-huh. uh, for that squad when they're off for their two days would be different from the other. So you didn't even work in the same team all week long. No, it was kind of fun because I got to uh-huh. learn the whole city yeah. and get the different calls. One thing I, I I learned or realized later on is that, you know, I worked for Elise Souter for a while. Uh-huh. And one of the things that she told me, she's like, about every two or three years, find somewhere else to be. Find something else to do. Don't allow yourself to get in a rut, get bitter, get disgruntled. Uh-huh. Find something else that you like and that you want to do. <clears throat> and I, I think that's why I enjoyed such a, a good career. But there were so many guys and gals that I knew that when I came on in 2000 with the city... They were day shift in Team One. And when I retired 19 years later, they were day shift in Team One. Never promoted, never did anything, was still working the same beat. Wow. Well, you get to know it well, I guess, and it's comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. uh, That's the nice thing about uh, the size of the agency with Tucson, which is considered a large police department. It was. Yeah. Well, yeah, and <laughs> uh, and being able to go to a different job every two to three years, or yeah. put in for different jobs that yeah. came available, even if they were administrative jobs. And I've told I told some folks, I'm like, hey, look, man, maybe you just need to go to Midtown, a new area, new chain of command. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't even realize how much of a, a, a fresh start that. It just kind of helps you clear your head because, yeah, people just get in a rut and then they're disgruntled and they're like, man, I hate this place. It sucks, blah, blah. And sometimes just one changing one of those things can can really yeah. help your outlook. So that's crazy. So you're in team one and team four. And those two teams couldn't be more different. Correct. Yeah. Because. Yeah, it's fun. You know. <laughs> It absolutely is fun. I mean, one of the reasons why people like Team One, or even when I was at the Sheriff's Department, the Sanavere District, is um, it's always hopping. And the level of violence in that mm-hmm. particular area, night and day from the east side. Night and yeah. day from the east side. 
you know, and so um, we don't know which is more normal. <laughs> well, I, we I think we all know that it's not normal, but the the one of the things about this career or this profession is that uh, once you finish your training and that stress goes away, uh, the adrenaline that you get from constantly being associated or, or around uh, critical incidents, mm-hmm. whether it's a chase, either foot or, or patrol, or uh, a shooting, a stabbing, a murder, uh, you name it, that adrenaline rush and being good at, at what you do, it'll suck you in, man. And you just, it's enveloping, you know? And so... Uh, I was told early on in the academy, if you want to be good at this job, you need to go work the South Side on midnights. <laughs> yeah, Sign me up, sir, yeah. you know, because I'm a young and dumb idiot. You know, I'll go do that. Uh, but again, if you can do that and you get good and proficient, you can work anywhere. In so the city, any, got my, any other city. Got my dad as a ride along. Oh, wow. 12th in Ohio bar. Uh, Some guy was super drunk, creating a hassle there. Even the bar called. So we get there, and then the neighbors and the people in the bar are upset because it does, it does, Southside especially, uh, us, them, develops pretty quickly. Once in a while, you find somebody that says, hi, thanks for doing your job. Right. Get this guy out of the bar, into the back of a police car, and he's trying to kick out the windows. Mm -hmm. Um. Later, my dad says, I was going to borrow your nightstick and I was going to teach him a lesson. <laughs> but I said, Dad, you can't do that. We've got to get him handcuffed and safely transported out to wherever Lark or the jail. As it turned out, we got him arrested for a criminal incident. But Right. Yeah, I, I took my dad on one ride along. And in my mind, it was a pretty slow night. There wasn't really much going on. There was, I think the only call I remember us going on together was a couple of... Uh, bums behind a gas station who had gone in, bought their 40 ounce liquors, had oh. gone out and were just sitting by the dumpster in, on the edge of the parking lot drinking. Yeah. So the guy calls you like, I just told them they can't drink out there, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I show up because as a sergeant, I was a sergeant at the time. That's a call that I can just knock out real quick so that my cops can be available for sure. coincidence. Yeah. And uh, I go up there and I said, Hey, this could go one of a couple ways. If you give me your names, and I run you, you don't have any warrants, you'll put the cap on your beer and you'll go somewhere else. If you give me a hard time and you make me work for this or you're wanted for murder, um, we're pouring out the beer and we're going to go to jail. And that's how this goes. They give me their IDs. I run them. They don't come back with any warrants. I was like, okay, beat feet. See you later. The only thing my dad remembers about going on that ride along with me that night, my driving. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we were talking about, uh, multitasking or just doing a bunch of things really poorly. I guess, I I think that my dad's a pretty aggressive driver. Oh, okay. Has always been kind of an aggressive driver. And I think that I tend to kind of lean that way myself. And he thought my driving was over the top. And I don't remember us even going to anything. People leave space for you to do your crazy stuff. That's one thing (laughs) I noticed in my POV, you know, you get there and how come these people are so close to my car? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember anything of significance, but apparently however I was driving made an impression on him that night. So um, that's hilarious. But, you know, I've had some, like Mike Deach, when oh. he was going through the hiring process, he said they got called to a fight right there at 6th and uh, I-10 at the Jack in the Box. 
And his FTO said, let's go. And he got out and helped them um, get people into custody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't even a cop. He was just a ride-along. <laughs> yeah. You know? And that's what he remembered, yeah. you know, one of his first experiences with the Tucson police. But his dad was also, a, what, uh, was he a captain or assistant chief? Yes, uh, yeah. assistant chief. Assistant chief on the department, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, I mean, he kind of was around that culture at least a little bit growing up, but... Um, so yeah, Chief, and, Chief Deitch was, let me build you a watch. And then you'd spend five minutes going from one step to the next step, even though, you know, you're thinking, well, here, this is the beginning and this is where you want to end. That's where you supposed, there's the watch, but no. Mm. So that got a little bit old once in a while. Anything again, like I said, when you're, when you're just starting out on your own and you're actually starting to now apply all this knowledge and education toward the job. Uh, anything, any, any incident, I mean, you're scribbling a bunch of notes there, but I'm just wondering any, uh, incidents that were significant to you or that stood out to you maybe as extraordinary. You know, I had one of my guests is Ben free and he says, you know, unfortunately, because we see how cruel and how gross people are in order for it to be a memory to me, it's going to have to be pretty horrific or yeah. funny. You know what I mean? It's going to have to be one of those because the day to day. He's like, I don't remember that stuff, you know. So I just didn't know if there was anything that made an impression on you as a young guy, other uh, than the dead body. Family fight, ten thirty one. It's ten code. So yeah. my wife knows that one also. Yeah. <laughs> family fight. Fifteen years married, uh-huh. and they're both there. And I was the only one there. We didn't they didn't have second cop, but they didn't need one anyway. Uh-huh. And uh, officer, tell us what we need to do. And because uh, we're we're at an impasse here, we can't quite get off of that top dead center. And I'm thinking, I'm 25 years old, quarter of a century old. I don't even have a girlfriend, <laughs> and I'm going to tell people here that are 50, <laughs> married for 15 years what to do. And well, I gave them some advice, and right. I'm sure it was flim flam. And <laughs> as long as I didn't get called back, that's right. the other. So I didn't have to use the line. You know, if I come back, somebody's going to jail thing. Right. But no, they weren't even, they, they, they called and just wanted a cop to referee whatever it was. But it wasn't, so, so it wasn't a physical fight. It was just no, they were arguing. Yeah. Wow. So I was, I thought that was kind what of funny heck? in a way. But we do, And man. you're talking about being in situations where. It was strange to me because I grew up, you know, my parents are Southern Baptist, born and raised in Louisiana, and I was always taught Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Respect Mm -hmm. your elders. And so, again, as a 23-year-old kid, one of the things that was really surprising to me is to walk into a grown man's house and tell him to shut his mouth because (laughs) I'm done hearing from you. And if I want anything else, I will let you know. So, yeah, just be careful. He's moving his drink, but he's putting it by the electronics. (laughs) Um, So that... I mean, just odd. It's a weird yeah. position to be in, but it's, again, because of the the uniform that I'm wearing, it is my obligation to, uh, yeah, to give them direction, advice, maybe even take somebody to jail, take away their constitutional rights, maybe even potentially take away a life, you know? So, um, so who's in a marked police car going out to the police academy because they're going to have a lieutenant orientation testing? Mm. So I was a sergeant. Yeah, and um, off to the side of the road is a lady with a flat tire. Uh, and I'm running a little late for that orientation. Mm. So 
I stopped, uh-huh. helped her with the flat tire, got there to the orientation, and was called out for being, what are you doing arriving late? <laughs> and I, I wasn't even going to bother explaining anything, but there the obligation... Being a public servant. <laughs> yeah, the obligation of being in a marked police car in a uniform and an expectation. Right. And I, certainly if that was my wife or daughter or mom... Right. I would hope that the guy would stop and help them, even though they know what they're doing most of the time. So how long are you in patrol then? Base, well, in uniform, wearing a uniform, yeah. uh, well, I mean, all the way through the DUI squad. So how long are you in just regular patrol before you go into some kind of like a special, a special assignment, assignment or, you know, like DUI or CRT? Uh, or? I was um, three, three or four years, uh-huh. and then uh, went to warrants out of uh, records. Okay, and got to work with uh, those guys and running around. We did uh, arraignment security at the old city court. Okay, which you probably don't know where that is. Nope. <laughs> and on uh, East Al- West Alameda. Okay, <clears throat> right across from where the police station was, but that's not there anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in the city jail. Uh, and then uh, after three years, got promoted to sergeant. So oh, okay. I pro- uh, tested and got accepted. So warrants, were you just driving around picking people up on their warrants? We would, uh, we were assigned different uh, sections of the city. Uh-huh. So I can't remember, two of us would get together to do that because if serving a warrant, if you had to take them into custody, you wanted to be able to wrestle them if that's what was right. required. right. Uh, and then we would get all the warrants dealing with that. Uh, oh. uh, yeah, let me <laughs> He's write more notes. He's using. There's some folks coming here who never use that notepad. <laughs> and uh, the um, then we would uh, by geography uh-huh. and then pick out the high dollar ones, a DUI, reckless driving. Mm-hmm. That was uh, usually two hundred fifty to three hundred dollar uh-huh. warrants, and we'd treat tracked how much we. Uh, you spent or not spent how much we served gotcha. in dollar amounts just to show activity You're, and productivity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and or if it was a moving violation and it was maybe 25 or $50 back at the time, mm-hmm. then there was, I think, another $150 for failure to appear. Yeah. Uh, FTA, which would be for the judge, just like a contempt of court thing. Right. So then we would we would kept track of those things. And it, makes, it was that makes kind sense of to me only from a standpoint of if anyone ever a chief or an assistant chief comes back and says, tell me why we should keep the warrants unit. Well, chief, last year, based on all the warrants we served and, and arrested, we were able to bring in X amount of dollars to the city for Theoretically, these yeah. failures to appear or whatever. So, so parking ticket warrant around oh, the geez. U of A went to the address. People change every semester, right? right? Well, this is the semester after the parking ticket's written. Hmm. Knock on the door. Girl comes to the door and and shrieks, Oh, I thought you were my boyfriend. She wasn't wearing any clothes. <laughs> so mild entertainment, but Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, that happens. Um so what makes you decide that you want to be a sergeant? And now have you just have you just totally just ditched the idea that you're gonna to go to personnel or Yes. You have way past that. Yeah. Yeah. And 
what made you change your mind then? I, I think working with the, the people on the department that we were working with. Yeah. And again, you you didn't have to be a knuckle dragger to be successful. Right. It wasn't right. the number of fights that you were involved in or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, <clears throat> at some point, at, well, and again, maybe because of where we've lived in the past or stories that we've heard, you start to kind of get an idea of what you think law enforcement will be like. And so it's nice to be pleasantly surprised Yes, when you realize, oh, you know what? This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, one of my good buddies, Pete Galvan, right after we lateraled from the sheriff's department that that year, he got shot in the ankle. Oh gosh! And he had to have reconstructive surgery. He had to go through a lot of physical therapy, and he ends up coming back. But before he came back, they had his wife Michelle go on a ride along, and I had been going down there and helping Pete get to court dates. Like they wanted him sitting in front of the judge and the jury. They wanted those folks to see Pete and to see him, oh, you know, mm-hmm. all messed up. Cause this, you know what I mean? Like they just like, Oh, what? So he got hurt. Did he twist his ankle? You know what I mean? Like they wanted Pete in front of those folks so they would see the seriousness of the injury. And so when it was time for her to do this ride along, she went with me. And the thing was, is that Pete never really brought his work home. Mm-hmm. Never really talked about it much. And so the only thing that she really knew about what we did on a day-to-day basis and this is completely factual and, and absolutely accurate is uh, the TV show Cops. Oh, huh? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which only shows the hair on fire chases, you know, all of that nonsense. And so when she rode with me for that day, she's like, you know what? This is really eye opening. I didn't realize that when you go to a family fight, you get everybody calmed down and everybody like, and then you start your investigation. Like you make it safe for everyone to be there before you start figuring out if there's a crime that has occurred. And she didn't have that perspective because Pete didn't really talk about it much. And Mm -hmm. she just would watch cops and thought that it was pandelirium all the time, you know? And so it was helpful for her because shortly after that, he ended up coming back to work and he just retired. He retired after I did, you know, and he had, and he had started with the sheriff's department before I did. So I think he probably did 25 maybe. Uh, I don't know. So, um, yeah, that happened to me a little bit with my wife, okay. uh, working midnights, went to a, uh, a rape call uh-huh. and I came back. Well, she had lunch where we didn't have kids or anything. So yeah. I got to be lunch at two or three in the morning Oh, and I was saying, I just, I just cleared this rape call and I was all proud of the investigation and it's a felony thing. It looks yeah. like we're going to be able to catch the guy. Cause we got all that kind It really freaked her out. Yeah. And because I left and now she's there in the house by herself. So I learned that I I didn't, we didn't talk. I didn't tell her anything about police Mm. work. She had to find out secondhand or thirdhand. I think I, well, I don't think, I know that I lucked out because when I started as a sheriff, my wife was a band, a brand new little baby x-ray tech at Keno Community Hospital. It was wow. a county hospital. And so typically, if I went to at, a shooting... At Keno or yeah, on Keno, South 6th yeah. Avenue and I-10? No, the Keno the, campus, oh, it's okay. right there on Ajo. Yes. And so if I went on a shooting call, it was entirely possible that she could be x-raying the individual yeah. to see oh, where yeah. and if there's still any bullets inside. So I lucked out because it, there wasn't a lot that I could say that was going to freak her out. Mm-hmm. We just both had an understanding of what we were both dealing with, you know? And so, yeah, I got very fortunate that way. So you, you've already kicked the idea of personnel. You spent three to four years in patrol. Then you go to the warrant squad. 
What makes you decide that you want to promote to be a sergeant? Well, the extra money, and <laughs> that's and, not the and, right reason. No. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, and uh, then the uh, uh, I think it's uh, being able to be more involved with some decisions. Yeah, and that's one thing I really was impressed when I first got out of the army was if you wanted to write a memo at the time, it got acted upon. Uh, if there was a thought that you this is, could make things better. Right. Then there was, it would go up a little ways and come back down and it'd be changed. Yeah. Or at least you felt like you had some input right. to maybe a decision not, not happening or Did not. Did we not have a suggestion box? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so Anonymous? But, no. <laughs> so that, that did make a difference. And I felt like you were being part of, and I had looked at and gotten promoted to uh, lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And I got uh, frustrated uh, wound up on the list, but they were only good for two years. Is that still that the case now? Or I think so. Yeah, I think uh, so. So get get on there and be number four and die on the list, or be number mm. ten and die on the list. So I was a little yeah. frustrated with that, but I I noticed, and you've probably experienced that probably the best position is the sergeant it was. where you get to be running around on the street. I might still be there if I had not promoted to lieutenant. Oh, and the idea of then getting kicked upstairs. I've seen uh, people get promoted lieutenant and you hear them making traffic stops once in a while when they're for the first month or two. Yeah. And then after that, they're probably buried under paperwork. Yes. Cause now they've got, what is it? The comment that, um, 90% of the discipline goes to 10% of the people. So if you got 10% of a squad of eight, yeah. then maybe one guy that you may have to sit on. There's always one dude that and creates the all your work. Then the lieutenant's got four or five squads of yeah. eight or 10 each. And now yeah. he's looking at, um, well, I just multiplied out <laughs> yeah, yeah. 50 to 100 guys. I think I had seven sergeants, but one was the first shirt. So, and then one was motors and then, yeah, but six, oh, six sergeants, six squads. Motors. Yeah. yeah and so and I had. any guy would be sending something to internal affairs and it would come to the lieutenant. Oh yeah. 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 And so I think uh, what I always say is that I had a, seven sergeants and somewhere between 50 and 60 people that were in my chain of command that were responsible to me. Um, but, uh. When you first get promoted to sergeant, when is that? So you started in 71, so maybe like 77. 76, 77, yes. And then do you go back to patrol as a sergeant? Yes, yeah. Yeah. And then where were you at? Um, Where was I? Uh, Team Wood Midnights. Ah, Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Team Wood Midnights. Yeah. Yeah. Which, quite honestly, my first year as a sergeant, I was on the east side working midnights. So most of my squad were young cops that were still excited about being cops, which is fun. You know, if yeah. you if you're a young guy, like at the time, I think I was like 30 well, something and mm-hmm. I didn't want to be in charge of a day shift dinosaur squad because those guys hate being here. They hate life. They hate everything about everything. Yep. And what are you going to do as a young guy who's excited to be in charge and lead people if that's your squad, yeah. you know? So. That, and that didn't happen for some reason in Team One. I don't think they had a dinosaur section. Yeah, it seemed like everybody was was interested in being there and hopping and doing yeah. police work. Yeah, enjoyable. I, yeah, and you know um, that's the only thing I miss from law enforcement is that camaraderie. You know, it's uh, we're all in this together. 
<laughs> it's going to yeah. be crazy. It's going to be violent. The tone's going to be going off. But guess what? Tomorrow morning we'll all be sitting around talking about what a cool night that was. And that's uh, that's how it went down there. So, And then serving warrants. Now, not when I was serving warrants, but out on the street uh, just as a patrol officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were uh, handling cats stuck behind a hot water heater or cats stuck in a tree or a dog doing something. Mm-hmm. And we also served warrants for the library. And I stopped this people guy. people not checking their books in? Yeah. Stopped this guy. <laughs> and they came back with 38-cent warrant for an uh, overdue book. Wow. And he didn't, guess who didn't have 38 cents? <laughs> so, so he had no, to go to jail I, for not turning in his Theoretically. T- wow. But I told him, I said, yeah. Just go to the library and give them their money, yeah. and I refuse to serve the warrant. Yeah. And so, well, you know, when I first started with the sheriff's department, we were taught in the academy that a warrant is an order by the judge that you shall bring this individual oh, before, before me as soon as practically possible. And so, we didn't have computers. So, if you ran somebody and they came back with a warrant, you served the warrant. And then I lateral over to the city two years later. I'm riding around with Mike Casha and Team One, and you know, we got like 1,200 cops in 2000 in, when, I, when I first lateraled, like almost 1,200. And I remember running somebody and they come back with a misdemeanor warrant and I was getting ready to say, go ahead and confirm the warrant, you know, whatever. He's like, hey, what, 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 what are you doing? So well, I'm going to have them confirm the warrant so we can come. Like, we're not going to, we don't have the, enough cops on the street to deal with these petty warrants. Um, we're just going to advise them and tell them to go get it taken care of. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of that. I'd well, that's what the that. warrant officers do. You know, so, it was just as a sheriff, there was no option. It was yeah. a shall, and a shall means you do it, you know. And so when I come to the city and they're like, I can't even tell you how many times I heard people advise their individual that they were talking to that they had warrants because they didn't want to have to run them down to the jail. Um, and I was like, this is crazy. Because, I mean, now I, I think the department has about 700 cops. Yeah, that's they really disappointing. They really don't have the bodies to take people in on their warrants, but they did back then, but they yeah. they we didn't. We just didn't unless it was a felony warrant. Wow. Or a really yeah. high dollar misdemeanor. Yeah. But otherwise if it was a 38 cent library. <laughs> yeah, that was that was funny. That is hilarious. I don't My know. My other warrant is a uh, still young patrol guy downtown uh-huh. with a prostitute. I think she was 5'6 or 5'8, 140 pounds. Mm-hmm. So I'm 5'11, 150 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> and she's got a warrant. And my mom said, now you treat women appropriately and you don't touch them inappropriately. So I'm trying to figure out uh, what do I do with this girl? And uh, Esperanza Hope. And funny you I says, you've got this warrant and I'm going to have to take you to jail. And I'm. Moving around, all of a sudden, fortunately, I had my vest on. Huh. She punches me in the stomach. Wow. <laughs> and, and I thought, how can I go to debriefing? See, I got beat up by a girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then you put right over the back of the car, yeah. and I got the handcuffs on her. And yeah. yes, that I learned pretty quickly on, mostly because I'd been too embarrassed. If I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, man. Like you, um, the bad guy always has the advantage because they know if they're going to fight, they know if they're yeah. going to run. And then because we are well-trained, we tend to still have the ability to react 
even though we're behind the gun, we're, or that, I don't want to say that, even though we're behind, we still have the ability to adapt and overcome, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that's a hard way to learn, but at least it wasn't yeah. a, a knife or a, a gun yeah. or something oh, worse, yeah. you know? By all means, especially get them in the car and then find out later they had whatever. Right. So the guy down south was known as a rabbit and knew that he was a burglar. Uh-huh. And so every time a cop would see him, then we'd have to get a couple of other cops to cordon off the area because he, he would be run. running. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, a cop saw him and said, I need two other units. And we got ready. And then he finally drove up to make contact. Mm-hmm. And the guy didn't run. And so he said, uh, well, I'm going to FI you then because I think you're whatever burglary. Yeah. It's at night, midnight shift. And then he said, uh, how come you didn't run? And he said, well, I was down in Mexico and I ran from the federales. They took me to their barracks, nailed my foot to the floor, and then told me to run now. <laughs> so wow. it was a fast learner, I guess, but a little different kind of policing down there. Wow. That's interesting. So hmm. the other border, the I have a midnight's. I don't know why all the fun stuff happens on midnight. It does. Because cowards do their dirt in get, the dark. That's oh, why. That what, well, I had a 1050 fender bender we would go to, which we don't do anymore, I think, now. I don't think so. Um, and it was on the border between our agency and another agency. Hmm. So I got there, and the other agency was there first, and they called up and said, well, it's, it's in the city. Hmm. So I get there, and there are skid marks from the P.I., <laughs> <laughs> into into the city limits. Yeah, and said, first harmful well, event happened uh, in yeah, the county. Yeah, I don't care. I'm, well, hey, I didn't have anything else to do, and it didn't yeah. make any difference to me. But I thought it's pretty. And he stayed there with me the whole time, which was nice. You know, the funny thing is, is that sometimes when it was on the border, you would you would show up, and and if Drexel Heights was there. It oh, was in the county. Yeah, yeah. If it was TFD, yeah. then it was in the city. And that yeah. would be the determinator of how you know, because TFD was not going to take a call if it was outside the city. And so, yeah, if it was border, they're like, well, yeah. TFD says they're going. Okay, then it's ours. Or TFD is not going, but Drexel Heights en route. Call the county. Make sure they meet me there, you know. Well, we had, uh, uh, just remember, along North Campbell of the border, too, that the... Uh, Fired up the way there was a 10 uh, accident injury, mm-hmm. and we asked for the paramedics and the fire. The city was the closest, so they dispatched them thinking it was in the city limits, and it wasn't. And they then somebody higher up got upset that the city was spending time out in the county or Drexel uh, yeah. Heights or uh, Northwest Fire when they should be covering it. So then we got an order that oh, I had reminds me of another one. <laughs> Uh, memo yeah, from as you the tell lieutenant. these, as you tell your stories, make sure you cross them off so <laughs> yeah. you remember. Uh, uh. And and so then we were told, don't bother calling for unless you know that it's in the city limits uh, or where it did happen, yeah. so that they didn't waste. Which made some sense if they were way, uh, out in the county yeah. with city tax money and yeah. they needed somewhere else. And but I, I thought that was well, if somebody needs help, why not just. The, the closest one. Right. Yeah. No, they don't want that because a burglary detective is not going to follow up on a burglary if it didn't happen in his jurisdiction. That's correct, you know? especially, yeah, <laughs> you know? with all the burglaries going yeah, on. Yeah, when it comes down to a, uh, let's say you go and you get all this information, you write a case report, 
And then you send it up and they're like, hold on, this didn't even happen in the city. Why are you sending us an an incident that didn't even happen? You should have called X, Y, or Z to come and investigate this. Don't waste our time with this. We got plenty of work to do. We don't need you going out and getting us extra work. Yeah. You know, and that's what it was really about is who's going to further this investigation once I put a pretty little bow on it and drive away and go to the next crisis. Somebody's going to have to look into it. Or you're cutting into my coffee and donuts. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, I'm old school, so I sure liked fritters and donuts. <laughs> uh, yeah, somebody asked me the other day, they're like, hey, what is something that you say right before you get ready to go make a bad decision? And I jokingly said, time to make the donuts, because oh, remember those old Dunkin' yes, Donut yeah, parcels? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I said, yeah. I said, well, you know what, actually, I don't know what started this, but every single day when we would clear briefing in the morning at the uh, Santa Cruz substation, yeah. We'd walk out of that front room, go past Rachel, go to our lockers, go to the cars. And I'd always walk through that door and say, time to freaking go nuts. And that's what, (laughs) same little jingle, but just changed it because you don't know when you're down working in team one, Yeah, it could really go nuts, you know? And so I used to just joke around and say that. And I, I sent him that and he's like, that's hilarious. I'm like, yeah, well. Yeah, I know the uh, midnight guys, I'm not going to write this down, would get upset. I mean, the uh, daytime guys get upset when they came on at 6, because they were 06 to 02, mm-hmm. I mean 1400. And uh, what are you guys doing? I don't want to take this burglary call at 7 in the morning when the business guy came in. You're supposed to be looking for burglars, and I want to be over- overdoing coffee and donuts yeah. at 7 or 6. Breakfast. Yeah, first thing out of the... Yeah. So the uh, my other lieutenant story. Oh, I didn't realize <laughs> I, I didn't realize you were a lieutenant. <laughs> I wasn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I never. I got on the list, okay. but never got promoted. Gotcha. And uh, was um, had a memo in the briefing book for do not use the fire extinguishers in the police cars on any civilian car, but only on city cars because they only hold five pounds of. And we're tired of spending, I think it was $5 to recharge them. So this guy's, I don't think that's right. Right out of the station in the morning after briefing at uh, Stone and 6th Street, Mm -hmm. uh, car with fire. Of course, what do people do when it's smoldering under the hood? They slam the hood down. No. They open the hood to see if it's got on. And all of a sudden, it's It's really really blazing. Yeah, sorry. And the guy comes back to the cop. He's got his lights on. He says, officer, can I get your fire extinguisher? I can put this thing out. And he said, I can't give it to you because it's not a city car. (laughs) And they finally call the fire department. But what happens when they get there? It's way too late. It's just a burnt piece of. (laughs) It's a total loss. So he goes back <laughs> to briefing and says, I think I better get that memo because no one's going to believe this. He's yeah. going to complain about his car getting burnt. Right. And guess what was not in the briefing book? Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's the thing that I learned, not so much as a, as a beat cop, but as a sergeant yeah. and then going into internal affairs, but even more so as a lieutenant, is you're about to make a decision and maybe put pen to paper or type something up on the computer. Let's apply the front page oh, newspaper yeah. Yeah. test the to this idea. Test. Yeah. The headline yeah. test. Because <laughs> if this were to hit the headlines, how's it going to look? <laughs> and if it's not going to look great, yeah. it's probably not a good idea. <clears throat> so said, like that one, who yeah. who did that? 
I don't remember the lieutenant. You know? And it's like, <laughs> it wasn't you. No. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> fortunately, somebody did said made a copy <clears throat> and yeah. said, this is put a create a problem, I think. I'll make a copy. And of course, now the guy could use that copy along with his officer's report saying right. yeah. why I didn't use my fire extinguisher. And let's, uh, I mean, let's face it, even if he gives it to him and he yeah. uses it, it may still be a total loss. That's true. Anyway, yeah. You know, yeah, the they say car... the fire that's larger than the fire extinguisher, <clears throat> and these are just little little things. Yeah. Then it's not even, don't even bother trying to put it out. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, what else did yeah. you, what else did you scribble over there? Because you got a bunch of notes. I'm helping you remember yeah. a bunch of cool oh, stories. Oh, my gosh. I had a minister right along with me. Why? Quiet night, team three, <laughs> midnights. Or no, was it, it was swings. So. Was it somebody that you knew? Yes. Oh, okay. And, and why did uh, he want to do a ride along? Just to see what it was like from the church. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gary. Wow. So it's quiet, right? Driving up and down. I'm, I'm doing about 60 sometimes because they're giving me these calls because they know I've got a ride along yeah. and you, you know, want you to be entertained doing okay. these. And he says, Boy, you go awfully fast. There's only 35 zone. And I'm flying you're like my hair's yeah. on fire to get to the call well other people were busy too i think because yeah. what was happening in the uh, finally it slows down go to a bar on grant uh i don't even know if it's still there it's i thought it was just a neighborhood bar rita's rendezvous and uh get in there and there's some of the ugliest girls i've ever seen in my life it's funny how this is a be, focus for you yeah Oh, my word. And I walk through and I see the license on the back and looking to see if anybody's drunk. And everybody's mellow and enjoying themselves and nobody's drunk. So uh-huh. we go back out. I thought he'd be just right along, something to do. Yeah. And then we get outside again and he says, uh, is it okay if somebody patted me on the rear end? And I said, what? Could you identify him? We'll go back in and make an arrest for assault. <laughs> And he oh said, no, gosh. no, don't bother with it. And then guess what Rita's rendezvous is? Uh, drag queens. Oh, no. <laughs> Cross-dressers. <laughs> no wonder they were so... <laughs> Handsy? So yes. Oh, so. my gosh. I'd never heard of that place. I hadn't either. But it, but it was fun, and it was mellow. Wow. I would imagine for <laughs> someone who is a minister, if they ride with you, with any cop, on the right night... I think it might be pretty shocking to them. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I don't know that... I mean, I one of the other things about this podcast that I love is that it kind of humanizes the badge. What it does is for anybody that's not a cop and they hear the types of situations that we've had to deal with, um, I, there's a lot of times I don't think that they understand what is expected of their first responders, of their public servants, you know, and... Um, well, it's not all serious stuff either. It isn't. I mean, sometimes it's very jokey, uh, but sometimes we joke about totally inappropriate well, things. Yes, as well, yes, that's true. That gallow humor. Yeah, and that's just a, a coping mechanism. But I think, um, you know, it's always been for some of my friends that were critical of law enforcement when oh, some mm-hmm. kind of a major incident occurs in the United States of America. Um, I would always tell them, you know what, I can't, I can't make an argument one way or another for why this happened like this. I don't know. I wasn't there. But what I will tell you is go to the police station nearest your home, fill out a waiver and go on a ride along. Because what you need to see is first of all, what kinds of calls 
are we going to? Secondly, you need to hear how the officer addresses and speaks to the public. You need to hear how the public speaks to the officers and just really see what we do instead of instead of letting the TV or radio or whoever give you your impression of what law enforcement is about. Go ride with them, dude. See it firsthand. And I think it'll be eye-opening. I think you'll really be surprised and maybe might change your perspective a little bit about what your the cops in your neighborhood are doing. You know? I pay your wages. I've heard <sighs> that a couple of times. Yeah. Of course, I don't want to respond because then... I'm thinking, oh, maybe this person can afford two tickets then. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, or, like, I pay taxes. I pay your, your wages. And I was like, well, I pay taxes too, so I guess I'm paying for my own as well. Or you're thinking, who's the cheap? I'm trying to get a pay raise here. <laughs> yeah, who's the yeah. cheap? You're the guy that won't let me get one. Well, and I, and I knew very early on, we are supposed to be apolitical. We're not supposed to pick a side. We're not supposed to try and be out there and <clears throat> necessarily uh, pushing our our political beliefs sure. or any complaining, that kind of stuff. You just do your job. You just do your job. Stop it. Um, Flynn's trying to get in on the podcast. Oh, oh okay. Um, yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I think it, it's eye-opening for folks that they don't do this on a normal basis. And then they, like I said, sometimes the curse of the ride-along is they get in the car with you and nothing happens. And that happens a lot. But if they're there on the right day and the right time, Well, I think a lot eyeful. of them say that they nothing happens, or you think nothing happens, yes. but they see a lot. Yeah, I, I've had ride-alongs like where I just thought, man, this is pretty boring. And they're just, their mind is blown. Like they yeah. just, and I was like, really, this isn't, wait till we see somebody with like a gunshot or a amputated limb or something. No, this is <laughs> nothing, a, you yeah, know? A foot chase. Yeah, we're getting a foot oh. chase or do something cool, man. You know, so um, what else you got there I've on your, got, on your I've notes? got the, the downtown squad got upset with this one trunk that was uh-huh. always down there and smelling. And <laughs> Tucson is the worst place in the world. This is a harm pit of the nation. You want to go to someplace nice, San Diego is a place where you need to be. Now, there's paradise. Ah. And giving them a hard time. They take up a collection, put him on the bus to San Diego. Wow. A week later, who's back? He came back. Well, <laughs> they San took Diego up a collection. Police chief called Tucson police chief, Gilkin said at the time, uh. I think, and said, we don't appreciate you guys sending us your drunks on the bus. And the chief said, what? Yeah. <laughs> and so that Midnight Squad got in trouble for, yeah. we've got another memo in the book that says, you will not. Well, there was always those rumors, you know, and I'd never seen it, where if you were in the county and somebody was being a jerk, take them and drop them off in the city limits. <laughs> or if you're working in the city and somebody's being a jerk, drive them out into the county and drop them off. You know, people used to always joke around that they'd do that, but um, I think that's the first time I've ever heard that they took up it a actually happened. and sent them on a bus. <laughs> wow. So that, yeah. That's, well, you know what? Not, not long before I retired, there was a big hubbub because right across the street from the Miracle Mile station, mm-hmm. somebody parked a little trailer and it was a recruiting 
had a big recruitment ad on the side of it for another local agency. Oh, really? Trying to oh. get officers to leave and go. And apparently a couple of phone calls were made and then that trailer went away. Oh, okay. But yeah, because it's like you don't come over here and poach. You know, it's just bad <laughs> yeah. form. Yeah. Just like it's yeah. bad form to take your worst bad actor and put them on a Greyhound to Phoenix. You know what I mean? Like that's just going to come back to haunt you. Because what's the first thing dude's going to say? Oh, yeah, the Tucson Police Department gave me a ticket and told me to go visit Phoenix. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, or go to San Diego. It's paradise, you know. Uh, made a traffic stop downtown Mm. and at the time new york had a card like a cardboard license that was folded in half oh wow on the back of the license was uh taped a hundred dollar bill so i I look at the back of it and i (laughs) i go back up to the guy and says what's this and he said what's what officer (laughs) and i said what's this on the back it must be yours i said just a minute Go back. I says, I've got to get a witness. This is a felony bribery. Yeah. So I, I get another cop to come by, and he comes up, and I said, now tell me again what this is. And he looks back at the guy behind me, mm-hmm. fishes out his billfold, takes out another hundred, and says, and that's the last one I'm giving out. I so, tell you, closer to the Mississippi or east of it, there's a different, it's a different world. Yeah, so, well, we did, felt bad. How, who would want to take the guy? He's just visiting in Tucson. So we documented everything and thought if the county attorney wants to file felony charges, now the city's $200 richer because <laughs> yeah. it goes into the treasury. But Right. I'll tell you one of the things that was uh, kind of impressed me. So, I mean, when I first finished at Pima College, I worked at DOC for a little while, and then I worked mm-hmm. at the jail. And there were some inmates in the jail that couldn't write a sentence grammatically spelling mm. couldn't do it they weren't possible it wasn't possible it wasn't you know one time i'm working the intake pod and a gentleman is in there and he's distraught he's upset and so we go over because you know the first 24 hours that someone's in the jail is the most dangerous if they I think didn't that, that. if they think their life is over, they'll <clears throat> tend to oftentimes take action to see that through. And so we go over like, what's going on, man? He was a German citizen who was here on vacation and got a DUI, oh. and now he's booked into the jail and he's losing his mind. Could you imagine if you were in Germany downtown somewhere, or like this idiot they went to Mexico thought he was going to run from the cops, and the next thing you know, his foot's nailed to the like. You just don't know. Not every country is like the United States, you know, and he had written out this two page letter in English, grammatically correct, spelling correct, everything, punctuation, you name it, it's all there. And I was like, here's a a guy from Germany and look at this letter that he wrote. And I got Joe Schmo, (laughs) the rag man over here that can't even write a sentence. You know, and he's an American citizen writing in his own language, you know, and uh, I think they ended up getting that dude in touch with his embassy. I don't even remember what happened. I just know that we ran it up the chain and somebody else did something with it. But was he there because he didn't have a residence? Because no, I I think he even got arrested. Well, I mean, I I think usually given a ticket. I think the nature, probably because of the, how much, you know what I mean? Like he might've been an aggravated or a felony DUI because, oh. uh, you know, he might've been a professional drinker and uh, over there yeah. you just get on the Autobahn, set it at a hundred miles an hour and just 
or by himself and not being able. Yeah. And if yeah, then that's what uh, pretrial was supposed to look at. Yeah, how yeah. to how to get people released. But if you don't have residency or job, and, when you talked earlier about driving sixty miles an hour down speedway or whatever thirty five mile an hour zone. It was on um, Prince, sorry. Well, no, 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 or whatever. I mean, <laughs> yeah. whatever street. But, yeah. you know, uh, I've been retired now for five years, and I set my cruise control everywhere. Because when I was working on the police department, I wasn't paying to paying attention to the speed limit. I just knew that I was here, and they needed me over there yep. right now. So 60 and a 40, oh, yeah. Make yeah. a U-turn where you're not supposed to have a U-turn, or in the middle yeah. of the block, yeah. and people... What lets you do it? Yeah, which so was nice. If I get out here on Tangerine, I know it's forty-five. I set my cruise control for about seven over, because if I don't, I'll be doing sixty-five in a forty-five, because yeah. that's how I drive. Yeah, and so whether I'm on surface streets, highway, anywhere, I, I always use my cruise control everywhere, because so many years of just driving to get to where I need to be. And I think that's one reason we may have some horrendous crashes because uh, the length or space between red lights and the straightness of the roads and the good weather, sunshine, uh, you just keep driving and driving. And that's what a lot of people do, unfortunately. And they get out of away from not knowing how fast they're actually going. Well, and that's why I never really could understand these multiple car fatality pileups that occur on I-10 by Picacho. It always Uh seems like it's on I-10 by Picacho. It's some of the straightest, flattest, most boring... Six lanes now. And that's the only thing I can think of is that because it is so boring and so flat and you can see... From Tucson to Phoenix, almost it feels like. Yeah. It's easy to start. a valid observation. Paying attention to everything else except for the traffic around you. And so when somebody does goof up and do something stupid, now it's a multi-car pileup and people are dead. When it should be, if it's not hilly and it's not curvy and it's not, you know, there's not some kind of a um, obstruction that would otherwise prevent you from just driving through there, you would think that uh, there would be a lot less of those major, major, major collisions. And it's the flattest piece of road. Yeah. You know? It's crazy. It's insane. It doesn't really make sense, but it kind of makes sense, but it doesn't make sense because if people just paid attention, there wouldn't be that. You know? So it's okay for me to pick on girls again? I guess, man. Um, what do we got? We've had a robbery? prostitute, we've yeah. had a cross-dresser, and we've had... A, a girl with good-looking legs and a short skirt. What do we yeah. got? <laughs> That's pretty good. You remember kinda, all those high spots. I'm trying to keep oh, track. Robbery, the Kmart. Guess where the Kmart was? Is it where the new station is now? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Miracle Mile. Um, pregnant girl mm. was the one that did the robbery. So we're running around looking for a pregnant girl. Huh. Come up with one later, and uh, it was a guy. And that we tell the manager, well, we, we got this guy that was that robbed you. Right. And he said, you know, I thought that was the ugliest girl I ever saw. I don't know how she could be <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> so, but it's a uh, half of a basketball underneath the dress oh, when he went wow. in to do the robbery. So. Well, you know, I always tell this story, too. When I was at Pima College, the last class I took was an internship with South T. And I'm a young kid. I'm pretty naive to the world. I'm just sitting in the passenger seat and I'm riding with this South T cop and we're cruising along and all of a sudden he stops his car and it's like a neighborhood street, stops his car, rolls down the window and he yells at some lady. He's screaming at her. He's like, go home. If I see you out here, I'm taking you to jail. 
And I was like, I don't know that I've ever learned anything that says that if a lady's walking down the sidewalk, she can go to jail. (laughs) And she wasn't a pretty lady, you know? And, and he's like, yeah, that's a prostitute. She's out here trying to get John, you know, pick up some Johns. And so I saw her and that's why I told her to go home or she's going to get arrested. And I was like, that's a prostitute. (laughs) You know, I saw several down there, no teeth, just little nubs down in the bottom of their gums and gross and dirty and stinky. And you're like, how do people even... The John has to be a little bit drinky, drunk. (laughs) Yeah, like how does that person make any money? Because they're gross. I mean, they're just disgusting, you know? So Tal Tucson was uh, doing DUI deployment with DPS. Ah. So we were chasing taillights up and down the freeway along with what they normally do. And Mm -hmm. it was kind of boring. So I thought that was a DPS officer's thing. (laughs) So I got the DPS sergeant riding with me, and he says, well, you know, there doesn't look like much happening here. Let's go ahead and go into the city and see what we can come up with, because we're mm-hmm. supposed to help. They would help us in the city mm-hmm. for another, at a different deployment night. Yeah. And we get just off of the freeway into South Tucson, actually, and his head is going back and forth fast. Oh. He says, this is a target-rich <laughs> environment. Look, that guy doesn't have a license plate light. He's got a tail light out on another one, and we're watching. I says, we got to find a car with a moving violation at least to top him for DUI. Yeah. So, you know, I had a guest two weeks ago. His name's Mike Warren, and he was a canine handler up in Oral Valley. But for a brief stint, he was in the Get'em unit. Oh, I think uh-huh. it was like a two-year assignment. So he's in Get'em. And all of his policing experience prior to that was all in Oral Valley. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, when he got in to get them, they just hung out in, either in Team One mm-hmm. or in like the Grant and Alturas you know, oh, Miracle yeah. Mile area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk about head on a swivel. He's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I mean, there's just crime <laughs> happening all around you, which was not his experience working in Oro Valley. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Say that again. I just say that when when I was running around in the street, it's a little different kind of policing. Yeah. And especially with the uh, the priorities right. of uh, calls, how they became prioritized. I got a chance to be a commo sergeant. Okay. For a year and nine months, I had to ask to get out of the unit because it's it's different. I don't know if you have been in commo. No. The the 911 operators, the PS uh, police service operators, oh yeah. my gosh, I don't know how they do it. Some yeah. of them are there for the 10 to 12 hour shift in one place. Yes. And and uh, are super dedicated yeah. to being in that one place and I I had to take breaks every couple of hours just to yeah. just to move around. I went down there and visited, but I mean just my impressions the the one or two times that I had to be there was like I couldn't I, I couldn't. This is insane. At least as a cop, you get to be out and driving around and all yes, that stuff. It was different. But uh, yeah, I, from what I understand now is that with the way the the call load is and the staffing, like I think they only go to level one and two calls. I, I think the threes it. and the fours and anything above that just go to callbacks. Had and, a couple of the PSOs that said that uh, they were getting a call from this guy that was drunk from a telephone booth. <laughs> and kept That's calling nine one one. Yeah, and uh, they said, Sarge, where he's tying up a couple of nine one one lines all the time, and we're telling him no, we can't do anything about it. Yep. Uh, so finally, he, he got switched over to me. I told him to switch him to me, mm-hmm. and I said, Now what I need you to do is stand by there, and I'll get you a cop. Yes, sir. So I told the dispatcher, 
have the cop call me. And this was the fun part of the only fun part I had there because mm-hmm. it's it, it's frustrating yeah. to hear it on the radio, radio or on the uh, phone and, and have to just take information, leave it to the cops to have all the fun. Right. So I told the guy, would you arrest him for disorderly conduct and put my payroll number down on that booking slip? <laughs> So, Heck yeah. that, so that's why I got to make an arrest. Yeah, abusing while the being 911 inside. system. Yeah, abusing 911 so. system is is a is a crime. You can't just call 911 for nothing. You know, it's a nuisance. So you get a shooting or or uh, something. Yeah, shooting or uh, something major happening. All of a sudden, all the lines are up because people are now calling yeah. and trying to get reported in. Right. And then now you've got to figure out, and a lot of times they just explain, yes, thank you, we got that information. Right. And then go to the next line to try to get cleared up to see if anything else is happening. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed that at that one time. So that <laughs> made so I had to get back out on the street. Yeah, no kidding. And have fun again. Um, how do you pick DUIs? Because you were in the DUI unit? Uh, Ten years, yeah. It was a yeah. phenomenal experience. Um, uh, following people, I think, uh, one time, well, I made more than a couple of arrests under the legal limit. So uh-huh. that the there's a three sections to the statute is uh, alcohol affecting the person's driving to the slightest, slightest degree. Slightest degree, yeah. And then there's a point oh the legal limit, 0.08 now. Mm-hmm. And then lastly would be drugs. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a matter of of watching people's driving behavior yeah. and um, even sometimes once in a while I get behind somebody and says, oh, this person is like an 06 yeah. or an 08 maybe. Yeah, you get good enough to where you yeah, can start telling. Yeah, a little bit of um, doing enough driving cues within a couple of seconds. And that's usually what happens for about... Uh, one or two or three seconds, a person doesn't commit any driving errors if, if they're impaired. Mm-hmm. The regular driver, yes. Do we go wander off? Yes. But then you're back on the road for a minute or a minute and a half without right. uh, any kind of a driving right. problem. And yeah. then the last would be the the odor and, and uh, physical right. signs characteristics and signs and of DUI. I used to, at the end of my career... When I was a young cop, if I saw somebody weaving, driving under, over, doing all kinds of stuff, I would suspect drunk. And then towards the end of my career, I suspected texting and driving first, Mm -hmm. then maybe drunk. Because the texting and driving, you'll get a lot of the same poor driving behavior because their attention is diverted. Was that stuff that happened after 1983? (laughs) A little bit. So I didn't have to. After. I didn't have to hassle nice. with texting because we didn't have it. Yeah. But yes, yeah. yeah, that's a very valid point, and yeah. that, that's even I, I, that's what I've determined that I'm not even going to try to talk on my phone, although you can. But I've found even with hands free, yeah, that if I'm talking, and all of a sudden I look back and think. I just drove three blocks, five blocks, or between red lights, mm-hmm. and didn't realize yeah. that I was driving. The, on the road doing yeah, that? Yeah, my That's, wife will miss turn. She's like, oh, I meant to turn there because she's t- talking and driving, you know? Uh, but, um, but you know, how many times did you drive from safe. your... How many times did you drive from your house to work and didn't remember getting there? Well, that's true, too. Well, especially Even midnights without in the morning. <laughs> yeah. 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 I remember pulling up in the driveway. I'm like, I don't remember anything from the time I pulled off the back ramp. Oh, my gosh. You know? And that's just... I think that's just... That's why yeah. there's multi pile, you know, multi car pileups on the highway. People get in there and they just 
go on yeah. cruise control. Uh, it was a fun, phenomenal experience for me. Yeah. I think the uh, uh, a cop, and that's what happened to me, to getting out of the academy and gung-ho, and I'm going to get this, the street safe, mm-hmm. uh, forbid any DUI driver, make an arrest or two, and the defense attorneys know that you're not a DUI guy yeah. <laughs> or have had experience yet, you're still new, mm-hmm. <clears throat> all of a sudden... Uh, they're raking you over the coals. And mm. I remember sitting on the stand thinking, but I'm the good guy here. I wear a white hat. I uh-huh. drive, a, I ride a white horse. Yep. How come I'm the criminal here? Yep. And why didn't you get this? Or why didn't you get that? And he says, I don't need that hassle. So then they go, and maybe for the first five years, they may make a few DUI arrests and then stop. Yeah. And then after that, later, 10 or 15 years, uh, deciding, you know, this is really pretty important. I've, mm. I've got to get on top of this. I know how to come up with this stuff. Yeah. And uh, so I, 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 I can identify because I was in the exact same boat. Yeah. And then, um, and then do them, um, which it takes an, an effort to, yeah. to, to do it. The, uh, the other nice thing about DUI, you do, you get everything right there and if you don't have it all it's not going to trial so yeah. essentially you have to get uh, proof beyond a reasonable doubt right and all of the evidence has to be put together at that time so yeah. it gets kind of funny i remember one girl i stopped um Albernon, just south of speedway mm-hmm. jumped out of the car ran behind an abandoned gas station i think it's on first or second street mm. <clears throat> pulled down her pantyhose and everything and squatted and then tinkled. <laughs> she had to go to the bathroom. Oh, my god! So one of the things I would do once in a while is time somebody while they're urinating because that's usually an indication of a lot of alcohol in a right. person's system. Right. They've been drinking. And they don't go for normally a minute or so, however long. But oh my I'd, I'd never had that happen before. So <laughs> she said, thank you, officer. I had to go. And then, oh, my gosh. And we did it. And then you arrested her. Yeah. Uh, yes, we get through the field sobriety test. <laughs> yeah. For college student, mm. First Avenue, south of Roger, uh, was... Uh, giving him FSTs. I mean, his, his breath was just blow you away. You get mm. drunk just smelling it. Pretty soon he, he's, uh, sir, could you move a little bit? And all of a sudden he has projectile uh. vomiting. <laughs> and he said, I didn't want to get any of that on your boots. Uh. And I thought, well, that was awfully nice of him. Yeah, but you feel sorry you. for the poor guy, you know, just uh. how, how you must feel. Ugh. But it is, I mean, it's like Russian roulette. The more you play around with that and the more times you drink and drive, yeah. it's just a matter of time. You know, it's like like owners of a motorcycle. They don't say it's if you crash, it's when you crash oh, because yes. everybody who rides a motorcycle crashes. Yeah. Every drunk who decides to get behind the wheel is going to end up severely hurting or maybe even killing someone else. They never get hurt or their injuries well, are always seem pretty minor. Statistically, yes. Statistically, yeah. 55% of the time in a, in a fatal or serious injury accident, mm-hmm. do you know who's injured? The other people. Yes, but it's that's what it seems like, uh-huh. but it's the drunk. Oh. Their system does not, they've got their the blood vessels are, are enlarged, mm-hmm. vasodilated. Right. 
and the blood continues to flow. So if they have an injury, uh, then it's going to continue to flow. Whereas if somebody's sober, the body starts shutting down systems right. to keep the blood around the heart and to keep it pumping to the brain, Got which you. is one of the last things. So they they normally are injured more hmm. statistically, but because of the innocent, other innocent people involved, it, it it's more horrific, it right. seems like. So yeah. I had you talking about Russian roulette. I had a guy that uh, asked, I, one of the tests I asked him to do is give him a sheet of paper and ask him to write out the alphabet. And then I, if they're singing it, then I mention that, that they're singing it because most people don't need yeah. to sing the alphabet while writing unless they're kind of yeah. drunk. And then I ask him to put down the date and the approximate time so we have an idea of mm-hmm. uh, what, what it is and where they're at. And uh, then have them sign the paper. And so I had the guy do that, and he said, well, is it okay if I write out the Russian alphabet? And so I says, I have him thinking, I don't know what the Russian alphabet yeah. is. How will yeah. I know if it's correct or not? Yeah. So he, I says, yeah, it's fine. Go ahead and do it. And so he started writing it out because he was majoring in Russian in, with the U of A. Oh my uh, I hope this guy's not listening. I feel bad for him. <laughs> and, well, you didn't uh, say any names. Yeah, no. Yeah. And then he stops about uh, five or six letters in because I think they've got 52 letters, I believe. We got 26. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so I, I figure it's even harder. Yeah. Uh, and he says, uh, I'm too drunk to do this. Sorry. <laughs> he says, okay, great. We won't, we'll we'll skip over this yeah. one we're gonna put and that go in, on. Yeah. We're going to put that line in the case report. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, poor guy. Wow. But, when did you start teaching at Pima? Uh, the fall of 1994. Oh, okay. So, yeah, when I was there, you had just started teaching. Yeah, because I was there much. like ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, like into the summer of ninety five, and then I left. Would, so you were at the uh, West Campus. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, okay. Most yeah. of my most of the criminal justice classes were at the West Campus. Yes, they were. They were yeah. all there at the time. Yeah, and then just like with the department, uh, somebody was trying to make an empire, so they asked <laughs> it to be moved. That doesn't happen in the department, uh, does it? Yeah. I mean, the captains. I remember captains. Why don't we move team one and team two boundary? Because I'd like to have more area and more calls for service, so I look more important. Mm, yeah. And so then they would move it around South Tucson. Uh, but it was to go to the East Campus, and uh, everybody was used to the West, so trying to get students to go out East, and they still have that problem to some extent now, uh, where uh, a lot of times the the West Side people and the South Side students have to drive all the way out to the East Campus. Mm. Uh, and they were offering a few classes at the West Campus. But I was surprised at how large, I don't know if you've been by there lately, but the the Ina and Shannon Campus. Like yeah, I haven't been, yeah, I've been there that once. One is, it used to just be a little nothing, and now it's yeah. a big, full-blown unit. It's like a oh, huge yeah, that's building right. there between three, McGee. Three and four stories and yeah. four buildings, I yeah, think. Between yeah. McGee and Ina on Shannon. Yeah, so. yeah Pima's having, I think, problems now with getting enough students to uh, go and part of it has to do with the economy mm-hmm. so when the economy's doing great and there's a all the, everybody's employed guess what they don't want to do go to school yeah. yeah now you're unemployed or laid off you're trying to get a new job skill right so then you they know, would go to school and same would, thing with like uh, the military and the police department it seems like when the economy's doing well and the jobs are all over the place you don't see a lot. It's hard to hire for policing. But when the economy's down and people look for government work where a paycheck shows up every two weeks, then you well, start to you get make the numbers. More, more money 
financially in a financial district or real estate, yeah. selling homes and stuff. But yeah. of course, it's but, not about, all about money. You miss that great true. experience, right? Yeah. So how, again, how did you get roped into or did you volunteer or how did you get into teaching at Pima? Uh, looking at a 20-year retirement mm-hmm. and... Uh, I thought, I've got to think about getting retired, and what do you do afterwards? Yeah. So I thought, well, I could I could probably teach school. I wound up, after I got out of the Army, and uh, they also had the Safe Streets Act. Oh, you probably know, it was a mm-hmm. $3 or $4 billion thing that they were going to do education for cops, mm-hmm. prosecutors, judges, overhaul kind of the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Um from President Johnson was supposed to be. Wow. <laughs> it goes back a few years. Huh? Yeah, just a couple. Uh, they would pay cops to go to college. Okay. So then, because we had the three-month shift rotation, mm-hmm. U of A came up with a three-month uh, semester. Oh, and wow. they had classes out at the police academy. So if you took classes, you got uh, X number of dollars. They would pay for the tuition mm-hmm. and give you money for books. And then uh, you just had to agree to work for the department for another two years or an agency to pay off or theoretically honor that two money that they gave you for that. And then I also had the GI Bill, which for me was, I think it's 150 or $200 a month Uh that they gave you to go to school. Ah, so you got to double dip a little bit. Yes. So nice. I, instead of working extra duty jobs and getting, well, at that time it was 16 or $17 an hour mm-hmm. at a construction site because they wanted a cop there with a car yeah. to help slow down traffic and, and uh, help their insurance rate too. Uh, so the less accidents when there was a cop there. Yeah. And then that way the insurance company didn't have to pay for accidents that occurred in a construction site. Huh. So we had veterans who were getting their GI Bill <laughs> benefits when they attended the police academy. Oh wow! Okay, when I was there that in 2014. Was considered I a, that was a thing. education thing. Then yep. yeah, yeah. Well, I I wound up with a master's degree. Okay, so that was really fortunate. Just uh, my ten years was up, and that same year I just happened to have enough credits to yeah. get a master's degree, and I thought, well, I probably could go teach at Pima. So yeah. then I looked at. And went over to uh, Dave Bruce and yeah. uh, Jim, uh, gosh, what's his first name? Jimenez. Yeah, I think. Joe Jimenez. Yeah, I think he was the guy that I did my internship. <laughs> I was in his class. Oh, okay. Because I think he did juvenile justice and that internship so. class. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they they said, well, we could try having you teach a class. So <laughs> I, I went with Joe and he had a... Uh, race and ethnicity class, I think it was, mm-hmm. that I was involved with helping to teach. Oh, wow. And he said, okay, we could go ahead and have you teach here. And then... That uh, was it? Well, yeah, I got kind of got hired. What did you say? To do class. You get to warp young minds? <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, and at, uh, at the end, I've, I've, at the end, I've told uh, people that if I'm up there saying something, especially now at my age... <laughs> And I can't think of the word, and I point out, point to you, you better tell me what that word is. Because everybody else, you know, is going along, doesn't the idiot know that this yeah. is the word he wants? Yeah, so. yeah. Um, so after you, you're in the DUI for 10 years, and then is that when you get promoted to sergeant, or? No, that was, I, I joined as a, as a sergeant. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. And I hadn't done too many DUIs, and yeah. it, so I 
thought if I'm in charge of the unit, I've got to be able to know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for you because a lot of people don't necessarily do that. You know, sometimes they'll just lead blindly. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know. Um, and what else did you get? Did you cover all your stories there? I know you got a uh, chicken scratch yeah, over there. Yeah, I, I had uh, my uh, brother-in-law, my wife's brother, uh-huh. uh, ride with me one time. Oh, nice! And we're day shift down south, south uh, team one. Yeah, and there's a report of a car that is at a motel pulled in the wrong way uh, Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, I think it was. Hmm. And uh, this is the plate number. So they gave the plate number, and they said, oh, it's associated with a 1043, an armed robbery suspect. Uh. So we're pulling up to the car, and I've got it boxed in. Yeah. And I'm going to impress my brother-in-law. And uh, he says, uh, oh, what is this? What's 1043? (laughs) And I said... Well, it's an armed robbery suspect. I thought he'd really be impressed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's fighting. He's trying to get down below the dashboard. And if he was small enough, he would have been in the, the little... Floorboard. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, I guess this isn't very good, is it, to bring you right along within shooting distance? Yeah. And it was occupied by two guys. Oh. Now, did you have people with you? No, just me. Oh, my gosh. What are you responding to that for by yourself? Crazy. Well, uh, it wasn't occupied at the time. And ah, gotcha. <laughs> no, I don't know. You're right. Is yeah. I used to, used to, a couple Well, I think you. I did show training fields. I don't know if you. I got uh, them from PHS uh, tapes from the academy. Uh, they said we stopped showing these things because it was so. Uh, you know, you could die making a traffic stop. You could die going to a burglary and then uh, searching a building and stuff. So now that these guys coming to the academy, they've got their gun in their left hand, screwing it into the violator's <laughs> left ear, and says, I want to see your license, because yeah. <laughs> I ain't dying making a traffic stop. Yeah. Uh, I understand the point they're trying to make, but yeah. it, it just, yeah, you can't do that. Huh. Well, it, yeah, that was a little bit too much for them to, uh, the officer safety aspect and yeah. stuff. Uh, so, but... Yeah, I, so then I thought, yeah, that is dumb, and I, I have done every one of those stupid things yeah. that you're not supposed to do, yeah. and uh, you didn't get shot, but obviously not everybody making a traffic stop gets shot. Yeah. And the same thing with going to a family fight. You didn't, yeah, I was told that very early on. Yeah, I was told very early on, you never go to a family fight by yourself, because as soon as you start to put somebody in handcuffs, the, the family will turn on you. And it can be bad. So, and it sucked because I remember as a deputy sheriff, I had my lights off. I was parked on the street. Oh, down, yeah. Down the street from where the fight was occurring. And I had my windows down so I could hear. Yeah. And there's people screaming bloody murder, but my backup is not there yet. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going down there. Yeah. Go lay down. Stop whining at me. Go. Knucklehead. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we just recently, wasn't it? Had, uh, Officer and paramedic shot uh, at a family fight situation. Two officers, and I, I don't, don't know, know where that was, but I just heard it. Oh, you know what? I did see that. That was um, and no one remember. likes to go to the family fights because it's it's not fun right. dealing with people's problems and trying to. Yeah, I did see that they were something. they were ambushed by the the husband. I guess the wife. They were down the street talking to the wife, and he came out of nowhere and then oh, is that what it was? Killing them, yeah, and then took his own life. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, I know. I've been at family fights or dispatched 
waiting half a block away. Yeah. I thought you were going to say somebody, and I've had it happen. Oh, officer, it's down here. Uh, yeah, I I've called had that too. 911. Could you, you, uh, I'm a coward. I have to wait for my backup. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, mean it, I don't know yeah. what you say. And it's not. You're like, yes, I'm aware. Uh, there's a couple more units on the way, and as soon as they get here, we'll go down and handle it. But, uh, yeah, no, I've had that too. They're like, over there, why aren't you going? <laughs> Stand down, you know, <laughs> yeah. Captain Chaos. We'll get down there in a second. We're just not going to go down there by ourselves and get killed, you know. That's not what they do in the movies, though. That's not what they do in the movies. And the movies <laughs> yeah. and the TV show Cops are absolutely an accurate representation. No. <laughs> what is a comment about police work is uh, 90 minutes of just sheer boredom and five 5% or five minutes of... Panic or yep, that's what I used to always say. I was like, it's hours of sheer boredom separated by minutes of adrenaline rush and just absolute chaos, you know. But the thing is, is that when you're in those hours of boredom, you know, at any second, any second, yeah, that tone could go off and it's just gonna go nuts. And so that helps you get through those hours of sheer boredom and report writing. Because you know, and any heaven second. forbid your sergeant finds you sleeping on midnight. <laughs> well, and I had a great sergeant when I was at the sheriff's department. He was like, "Look, you can't come in every night and be sleepy and tired. You got to go home, take care of business. But if you have a day where you know your kids were sick and you had to stay up with them or something, I would prefer oh, that mm-hmm. you go and park behind the station." Rather than drive around, fall asleep behind the wheel and kill somebody or kill yourself, just park behind the station. And at the sheriff's department on a slow night, because there was times when it was really slow, yeah. he, if, if you had not broadcast or transmitted anything on your microphone or your radio uh-huh. after 60 minutes, a little thing would come up on the dispatcher oh. screen to mm-hmm. check your welfare. And so if you Kinda had to nice for 60 minutes, yeah, so yeah. he would tell you, just go back there, turn your radio up so you, that you hear them call oh, you, uh-huh. um, but don't kill anybody, you know. And so, so who's driving behind the shopping center at Campbell and Elm, I think it is, mm-hmm. well, the, south of Fort Lowell, I can't remember the name, mm-hmm. looking for open doors or any activity, and all of a sudden, Bang! Well, I fell asleep and ran into the dumpster that's on wheels. And oh my word, I I wasn't sleepy the rest of the night for some reason. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, at least you're telling on yourself. You know, yeah. there was a, a guy that I knew and he had what he called a 1050 kit. And because we had the black and white cars, so he had a Sharpie marker and a bottle of whiteout. And depending oh, yeah, on what, yeah. what you dinged, he could fix. Because it's the black part. <laughs> but, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the majority of what we do is vehicle involved. So if you don't think that a car, that a cop's not going to scratch or ding something, yeah. you're you're out of your mind. And is every little scratch or every little ding worthy of all the paperwork and all the heartache? No, <laughs> it really isn't. You know, I mean, if it's significant, do something about it. But if it's not... Just that yeah. mine required a gallon of whiteout. That's the problem. Oh yeah. Or if it was a telephone pole imprint, were you <laughs> looking back behind and turning the wheel the uh, wrong way? Yeah. <laughs> mm. So <clears throat> I don't know if you got any other highlights there that you absolutely wanted to cover. Coming back from, um, and it's not to be disrespectful to DPS, really appreciate those guys. <laughs> uh. Phoenix and a DUI conference in a marked police car, uh, five of us in uniform, mm-hmm. and uh, 
was it 11, 12 at night, uh-huh. uh, we get pulled over by a DPS unit. And we're thinking... In a marked car. Yeah, what's going on? And uh, Ralph Taylor mm-hmm. used to be sergeant with PCSO, and uh-huh. now is now T- was TPD and then DUI with us. Okay. I don't know if I should tell on against Ralph anyway. <laughs> what a, well, this, the PCSO sergeant should tell you a lot about his attitude, mm-hmm. which was pretty crummy. But he, he, he says, I wonder what this guy wants. He's driving. And the sergeant could be resp- supposed to be responsible for the whole car. Yeah. And this is the senior guy on, on the unit. And the guy, the guy walks up and says, can I see your license, registration, and proof of liability insurance? And Ralph says, what for? He says, well, you were speeding back there, which we were, is mm-hmm. on uh, 77 or 79. I think uh-huh. we were coming back the back way yeah. through... Uh, Florence. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, well, you going to give us a ticket? And he said, probably not. Puts it in drive. And I think you've almost ran over the guy's boots leaving. And I thought, holy mackerel, Ralph, what are you doing? You're going to get me in trouble here. Mm. We didn't hear anything. I thought maybe he was going to come back, you know, get in his car and then call up for the, the... Yeah. Oh, my so, God. So I, well, I guess little, he realized... That's pretty pompous. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't pull over another patrol car because you don't know if they're in, working under the official capacity of whatever it is they're doing. I mean, yeah. you guys weren't at that point, but no. if I saw a car go by another patrol car at a high rate of speed, I would just figure, oh, they must be going something good, whether they have their lights on or not. You know, well, we or else he's working midnights and probably needed somebody to talk to instead of because they've got him stuck way out there to yeah. slow traffic down and yeah. not on the interstate where most of that fun is, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. I got a uh, waste of finite resources ticket by a, a highway oh. patrolman on that same highway coming oh, home really? when mm-hmm. I worked at DOC in Florence. And it yeah. was Christ- it was New Year's Eve. So I was trying to get home, got off at 10 o'clock. I wanted to get home because we were going to somebody's New Year's Eve party. And he pulls me over and then writes me that waste of finite resources oh, yeah, ticket. And yeah. I was in uniform. I was in my DOC uniform. Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah. Good yeah. job, buddy. Way, yeah. to, way to serve <laughs> yeah. and protect. Uh, yeah, it's not that you probably deserved the, the, uh, nobody the else appreciation. Out there. Well, that's true, yeah. too, being realistic. Yeah, yeah. if nothing nobody else. Nobody else is in danger except for maybe <clears throat> me if a javelina ran out in front of me, but nobody else, you know? So. Um, so let me ask you this. How do you decide that you're, how long, how many years did you serve with the Tucson Police Department? 35. Isn't that embarrassing? Yeah. 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 No. They, it was, uh, get ready to get retired at 25 and then didn't have any place to go. I did have Pima that I was teaching classes for and I thought, well, that would be a good thing to do. And I didn't know what I was going to do afterwards. Yeah. And then finally the uh, drop program and I got 30. Uh. Mm-hmm. And then did uh, the did Five the drop. drop? Yeah, and it was phenomenal as far as yeah, your, the benefit. money. Yeah, that's a good benefit. At, at that time, it was eight and a half percent that they paid. Oh, it was geez. it that's was robbery, really nice. is what it was. <laughs> yeah. So I we I hung around until I got to get out of that, and then had to leave. But which which is fine. I yeah. uh, my last foot chase was embarrassing. You you know you can't go to debriefing after a foot chase. You you never yeah. you got the other foot chases at thirty six and Campbell, but seventeen year old got the D uh, the 
fraud as in fraud at the time, serving a search warrant mm-hmm. and uh, got all the detectives. I think we had five of us and, mm-hmm. and I was out making sure people were going to different places and searching however it was getting the search. Yeah. And they had this 17-year-old and I, uh, that I was not going to tie up a detective watching him. So I had him out front with me sitting down on the curb. Yep. And uh, I'm on the radio and in front of the guy. And the next thing I know, he's up and he's half a block away. <laughs> That's, you've got to be kidding me. I start to run after him. I don't know how many steps I took. And the guy next door said, uh, I'm with the post office. Can I chase him? I says, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm going, <gasps> I can't even get on the air to talk. Yeah. My buddy Jeff Rumsley, Boots, comes by. He's gone yeah. after the guy. And I'm trying to maintain a little bit of a distance, but I it couldn't believe it. I don't know how, how the guy's in a foot chase. I'm running eastbound on 22nd yeah, nice Street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He says, give me a break. Yeah. And I'm breathing to beat the band. I find out that they turned the corner. Jeff drew down on the post office guy. He said, oh, who are no. you? And he says, oh, the sergeant said I could run after him. Oh, okay. Well, let's here he is right here. And they took him into custody and brought wow. him back. But it was, it was embarrassing. That's when I realized you know, I got to... Jump ship and leave. I go to the gym now, and when I wake up in the morning to go to the gym, I I sit there and I'm like, "What's my motivation? What is my motivation? Why am I here?" You know, back in the day, I used to always say, "We keep getting older, but the bad guy is still uh, seventeen or eighteen years old." And no, no older than twenty four usually. Yeah, anyway, yeah, we keep getting older, but the bad guy is always like a twenty year old. You know, and so do you have to have the ability to pop out of your car and throw somebody in the dirt if you need to? Yeah, you do. You know, now that I'm retired, I don't have that obligation. And it's, uh, I have to find other motivation, you know, <laughs> yeah, to, to do. get me get yeah. me down there. Yeah. But um, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. And, uh, the one I did catch somebody on was uh, <laughs> oh, 36 and Campbell. Uh-huh. I was riding with another officer, Holden. He became a... Uh, Prosecutor, I think, later went to law school oh, after wow. the apartment. I don't think he got retired. And uh, we've got the, the spotlight on and the headlights on, and it's a, a GTA vehicle. Yeah. Um, and two guys are in it. The uh, Holbin gets out of the car and says, stop or I'll shoot. And the driver gets out and stands by. What does uh, the passenger do? Pew. No. He's gone. And who goes just to chase after the cast passenger? I don't. I didn't tell him to stop or I'll shoot for uh, crying out loud. He was gone. I think yeah. he would have beat the twelve hundred feet per second bullet. <laughs> crying out loud. <laughs> so I go racing up the hills, thirty six and Campbell area, mm-hmm. and I do catch him, which is fortunate. But I am really upset with Holman. Please don't say that at people. <laughs> that scares them to death. We should just. Let's calmly talk to them about mm. getting out of the car, and we yeah. can figure out what we got later. Wow. So his stopped, mine ran. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Now, let me ask you this. Um, if you were going to write a book about your experience or, you know, about your life, or what, what do you think is your book title? Oh, that book title. I know. That's why I send these to you, so you're going to have time to mull them over. Yeah. Uh, yes. I I thought it would be um, intense excitement inside. 
Oh yeah. And what is that? <laughs> Why you mean? Oh, inside the book or inside yeah. you? Inside the book. Oh yeah. Because uh, I, I was it was in it's some intense fun as usually I tell people. Yeah. I think is what what you experience. And then with the idea of feeling like you're part of the solution rather than part of the problem yeah. is helpful. Yeah. But. Yeah. I think I, well, that's, you know, it goes in cycles it, it, over my career. It goes in cycles where sometimes you're the heroes yeah. and then sometimes <laughs> yeah. people hate your guts, gosh, oh gosh, you know, yeah. and it, and it's, I think I'm, I'm glad that I retired in 2019 because I missed a lot of, uh, civic, you know, civil unrest, a lot, you know, the, the COVID whole, that whole thing. You missed the anti-war of the Vietnam I did miss, I missed that too. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's, yes. um, I yeah. don't, that again, anti-government probably is a better way of expressing it. Yeah. I don't miss any of that nonsense. Cause yeah, when you, you're riding high, when you're the hero, but when people hate your guts and they, they wouldn't even spit on you if you were on fire, that's like, I'm just doing a job and you know what? I'm not going to come to your house unless someone there is breaking the law and I'm sent there, and when I do show up, I will fix the problem, and I'm going to go on. It's not personal. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I don't have anything against you. I'm just doing my job, you know, and you hate me, and you don't even know me, you know? 2001, uh-huh. 9-11. I'm running around on the street before September, was it August? Yeah. Talk about getting bad looks. And anti-government, and what are you doing here in this area? Right. And nobody wants you here. Yeah. And and then September 11th, what happens then? Right, the flags planes. come up, cut right in front of me, <clears throat> citizen. No problem. Oh, there's a cop. Hi, Mister Policeman. Yeah, can I buy your coffee? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Almost a month, I think. But then after that, it was back to the normal. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I, what is the comment? If you if you wanted positive things to be told to you, you should join the fire department. <laughs> and yeah. other than that, it's a cop. My wife got her COVID shot down at the uh, community center. Yeah, me too. And uh, fire department, paramedics giving them out and stuff. Yeah. And she told this young guy, uh, my, uh, my husband worked with the police department. Oh, he says... Oh, well, not me. I passed the test. <laughs> wow. So, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, let me ask you this, John. Like, what do you think? Here's another one of my prompts. What do you think is the best compliment you ever received? Nice. Nice to have you here. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't get those no. very often. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially in uniform. But right. I think, um, I think, uh, with some of the being involved at a, as a civilian and civilian activities, mm-hmm. sometimes you get comments, oh, you're a cop, well, I appreciate you doing that. Yeah. But you don't necessarily get it when you're wearing a uniform. Yeah. Yeah, me ending, <clears throat> ending my career as a lieutenant, it took me out of always responding to people in crisis and more so about dealing with people in like community groups or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like that. And so it, it helped me not to have that crusty outer shell or that, that negative attitude towards the public like I did earlier on in my career, yeah, so which, was a, understand. which was a good way to go out and mm-hmm. not hating people, <laughs> you know? Yes, that was the same out. with the DUI. 
Yeah. That I'm glad you're out doing that to that extent, and certainly the the people that may have been victimized by a DUI driver. But um, what do you think is the most heroic or courageous thing that you ever saw? <laughs> I went through these, but I didn't come up with any examples I could think of at the yeah. time when you yeah. when you had given me that list of uh, potential topics and questions and stuff. Yeah. Well, if you don't have an answer for it, that's okay. I just, I'm always surprised. Like I've had some folks uh, tell me about personal ones uh, and same thing with the compliments. Sometimes they're personal, sometimes they're professional. Um, but I'm always, I'm always surprised by, because the thing is too, and I've said this so many times on the show is that is as much as you and I can get desensitized to cruelty, <laughs> I think we also get desensitized to uh, heroic acts because the men and women that are on either side of us are constantly doing heroic things. Yeah. And it's not until I've retired and I start thinking about instances, I'm like, holy smokes, with absolutely no regard for their own personal safety, they just ran into a situation yeah. where it could have cost them everything that they have to give, literally. you know. And so I, I thought of that prompt one time and I was like, ooh, I'm going to start adding this. Because if mm-hmm. I hit you with that cold... And even if I hit you with it a couple of weeks ago, it's still sometimes difficult to come up with, yeah. with, with one thing, you know? And so, um, I, I think it's for, I haven't seen it. Fortunately, I didn't kill anybody. And that's yeah. probably one reason why I was able to do the 35 years. Yeah. I think people involved in uh, shooting incidents, even if they're righteous, what they say, they're yeah. valid. There was a self-defense either for them or somebody else's life, and they shot and killed a person. It's uh, it's still a drain yeah. psychologically. Yeah. And I don't know that people, sometimes uh, cops don't last uh, five more years after a shooting incident, or if even that long. And yeah. you, and then, But yet on the department, I've been involved with three shootings. You hear, just, oh my gosh, and people are... Praising the person on the one hand or yeah. else, well, why did you shoot them? Yeah. I mean, some of the stupid things that they would say to the person that was involved in it. Right, right. And, and uh, we should have yeah. been thinking that if it were you, how were you going to respond? And yeah. did they respond appropriately? And I'm sure that they're truly, always second guessing it. I, yes. I and think, that's the thing. That's what I was going to say is that that <clears throat> truly is the worst case scenario. It is your worst day. And... For if someone walks up to you and says, why do we do that? Well, you don't think you're already second guessing, like wishing that, that it would have turned out a different way. Why did that idiot do what he did yeah. when I did whatever I did? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, so it, I, I think that would be the heroic thing to be able yeah. to, to, and whether or not it was righteous or not, who, and I'm sure as a, as a and you probably were on the shooting team aboard oh, yeah. from a couple of them. Yeah. To have to go back and second guess and say, right. this is what rules and regs says, and this is what it yeah. looked like the it law, was. This is what the law says. Yeah. And, you know, I used to always say, after my experience in internal <clears throat> affairs, I used to say, you know what? If they want to ding me for general order violations, fine. You know what I want? I want that declination letter from the Pima County Attorney's Office saying that they're not going to charge me with murder. If I have the declination yeah. letter... Give me a suspension. Do whatever you want to do to me. Put me watching a, a water tank on the back South 40. You could I get don't... days off for not wearing your hat, you know, at one point. Yes. That's why I wore the 8.2. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's so ridiculous. But um, well, let me ask you this one, and then I think we'll wrap it up. So we've been here just a little while. I'm sorry. Yes. No, no, Thank that's you. fine. No, and this is how it goes. You know, this is um, I've had people come over at nine thirty in the morning, like I normally do, and they'll leave here at like three, four o'clock in the oh afternoon. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and it's not all recorded. You know, we spent some time hanging out and just chatting before we started. But uh, I'll ask you this, and we'll put a bow on it. What advice do you have for maybe a civilian that's interested in law enforcement or a rookie or maybe even yourself as a rookie? Well, I I've thought about, and I don't know if this is the same thing that you may have thought about, why didn't any of my kids get excited about law enforcement? <laughs> and, I didn't want mine and, to. Oh, I, I, I found it really uh, uh, fulfilling. Yeah. And for me, it was uh, from not saying much to hardly anybody, pretty introverted, where now you're going to make a traffic stop and issue a ticket. You had to be extroverted to somebody. And then the technique developed in interpersonal skills. I I would say uh, I think classes in psychology and sociology would be appropriate. And uh, an interest in uh, doing police work, it would be great if maybe they had a criminal justice class, but I don't think it's necessary. No, uh, no, the, the Academy does a really good job. They, yes. they do an excellent job. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it takes a different kind of person to be interested in law enforcement. And then, I mean, cause my Academy was 30 people. I don't know that there was 10 of us that made it to the 20 year mark. Oh, uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like yes. just because 700 people show up to tests or 1,500 people show up to a test, there may only be a handful of career police officers in that group, you know, because it's, well, like, I don't know, once you get the hang of it and you're doing it day to day, it it gets a little mundane, but it's not necessarily an easy career. I mean, we joke around and say, oh, anybody could do it. Well... I think we've proven that over and over and over again that that's not the case. It does take a special type of person that wants to do this work. So, um, and, and as far as advice, I I I don't know. Just well, be prepared that if it's not your cup of tea, go ahead and jump out. Yeah. But at least you say that you tried it. Right. And who knows if if I got hired. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't have the same experience as I had before. Yeah. And would I then stick it out for as long as I did? Right, right. Of course, you're not going to expect to get rich, but no. you would like a living wage. Right. And I think the uh, your, the jurisdiction, which I hope city is, is responding to better, especially with the chief now, yeah. has got some political clout uh, to increasing wages and making them comp- uh, competitive yeah. so that you can explain to people, we pay this much money, we expect this level of performance. Right. right. And n- uh, not someone that's committing crimes. Yeah. I had one bad story. Oh, um, yeah. team, team two, first sergeant, uh, the guy that was in team two, um, child, was uh, arrested and prosecuted for child molesting as a 14-year-old. Oh, no. Um, that he had sex with. It was consensual stuff. And it was he met her on a call and stuff like that. Uh, sergeant from California called up. And he said, I was going to ask about this guy. And I'm thinking, I'm not personnel. Yeah. I don't know what, ha- what happened. Well, I find out that personnel can only say he worked here and now he doesn't work here anymore. Right. <laughs> and... Uh, 
And so he's talking to me, and I says, I don't know what the personnel rules are. He says, well, you know, he was arrested and prosecuted for child molesting. What? 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 You, would that not be public information? But the idea of, of having people... Sell the department self policing the officers themselves yeah. picked up on what his was going on and had him reported so that he then got to be weeded out yeah. as a team two officer at the time. Wow! So, but it, it's uh, it, it does happen, and you would hope that someone would have that high ethical and moral standard, right? And that's one of the things you would hope that you'd be able to to f- continue on with. But after five years, sometimes it gets a little tough. Yeah. And I think sometimes in-service training helps for reestablishing a standard that I came to work with these ideals, and I'd like to go through them again. Sometimes the lieutenant and the sergeant could help, I yeah. think. So, thank so, you. I well, didn't sir, mean to take more time. Oh, no, but, no, no. That's fine. I've had a good, uh, a good afternoon, and I appreciate you coming over and hanging out with me. Um, thank you. Yeah, and uh, if you drive away from here and think of about ten more stories, <laughs> there's no rules to this this whole podcasting thing. You can certainly come and hang back out with me again. Thank you. It was very generous of you. I appreciate yeah. it. I I enjoyed it. I I hope it is some benefit to somebody down the yes, road, sir. especially get, uh, getting someone interested in doing police work. Yeah, yeah. Intense excitement. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. I appreciate you. Thank you guys so much. This episode, just like every episode, is brought to you by my book, My Rookie Memoir, A Father's Legacy. It's available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and it's also a Kindle ebook. Uh, if you do uh, go and get yourself a copy, please leave me a review. I always love to hear how those stories are received. And please come find the Facebook page or the Instagram page for the podcast. Instagram is CP underscore SFAF. And let me know what you thought about this episode or any other episode. Uh, We're 116 episodes deep now. I know there's a lot of content, uh, but the stories are fantastic and they just kind of draw you in. And before you know it, the interview's over. So thank you all so much and I'll see you guys in another week.